It is Friday night in Phoenix, and you're listening to the Absolute Geek Podcast. My name is Matt. What are you I'm laughing Kyle. about? That we were just sitting there, do, just staring there, quiet. Yeah, I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for Chad. I was trying to wait for Solo Wookie, but he's got a slow computer. It was just funny that like it's live, and we're all just like not saying shit. Yeah, you know, it was intro, intro, baby. It's all intro. Let, let Brian get his intro out before you start laughing. No need. I, I don't need an intro. Everybody knows who I am. Because you're the professional podcaster. Oh, did That's I need right. not let you introduce Brian? No, you no, just cut good, him off, brother. bro. You just jumped all over him. That's Brian. <laughs> That's Brian. He runs about 16 different podcasts. You know you know the drill. You know how it goes. Uh, still waiting on Solo Wookie. What's, what's going on, guys? Oh, man. I got... Uh... I've got insurance for Lucille. Woo! Got a temporary tag so I could take her to the missions and see how that goes. You've got, got, got a nice new pick of her, too. Why don't you uh, show everybody the nice new pick of her? Um, can you show it, Matt? Uh, I can. Yeah. yeah. I drove it home. And uh, it was kind of funny. Is you know, when I took it there, the, the gauges and stuff didn't work. The the gas gauge didn't work. The speedometer, none of that stuff worked when I took it there because, you know, it barely ran because it's actually only running two cylinders. So when it was there, remember I was talking and I was like, hey, can you guys, you know, can you fix everything? Well, in the process of all of this, I had uh, forgotten that I'd actually only put like, I don't know, a gallon of gas in it like three months ago. And so, like, I took it there, uh, mechanic dudes driving around, test driving it. You know, I was starting it all the time, trying to adjust it and fuck with it and everything. And then, uh, so I finally get it. I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. End up driving it. And uh, the uh, mechanic is like, I don't know, right under like two miles from my house. It's like a straight shot. And uh, so I was taking back roads, you know, because I didn't have, uh, you know, I didn't have like insurance or like a license plate or nothing for it at the time. I got all, you know, I got all that done today. And I was like, well, I'll just have my parents just drive behind me and I'll just take back roads home. You know, and so I'm driving. Fuck yeah, looking cool in my 1970 Volkswagen. And I, I go about a quarter mile. I turn the corner and it goes plop, 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 <laughs> and I coast and I and I and I pull and I and I coast over to the side and uh I try to start it and I was like fuck I was like shh it just died I was like fuck man I'm gonna have to push this motherfucker back a quarter of a mile so they could fix it and I was like you know what I bet you it's out of gas so my parents had to drive home 
or drive to my house, which is like a mile and a half away, you know, and uh, get get my gas can, brought it back. I put like another gallon in there, fired it right up, man. She fired right back up. <laughs> Fucking drove that bitch home, parked it in the, in the, uh, you know, parked in the driveway. And I was like, I got to take pictures of this shit. Old school versus new school right there in the driveway. Nice of you I to join us. Thanks for joining us, slow-mo Wookiee. Oh, but man. It, it was kind of cool, though. <laughs> I got to get away from this Mac. Yeah, slow-mo Wookiee. You just need a new one. Yeah, it, my Mac is pretty old, and if I don't clean it on the regular and do a bunch of love to it, it gets fussy. It's like an old Volkswagen. It's like yeah, it is. It's like a 1970 uh, fastback, is what it is. It just it needs a lube and a tune-up and a cleaning. But it was kind of cool. I met the dude who originally owned it. So the guy that I bought it from, I the guy that sold it to him that had it forever, messaged me the other day when I had posted it in one of the Facebook groups. So it's kind of cool. I got to talk. I got to talk to somebody that had it for years and years and years and years, which I thought was cool. And he was a cool, super cool dude. So I thought it was awesome. That's, nice. that, when you can find the original owners and the history. And the, I, I mean, that's, that's priceless in a Volkswagen that in the Volkswagen world, that's the man that has the history. That's the man that knows where it's at. You know what I mean? Like when you can get that little, that's, Oh, there was this time when you can hear the story. There was this time me and my lady went on a date and named it what? Otto. Nice. But I was like, that's not, it's not Otto anymore. No, that's not her name anymore. Seal. Well, that's a good transition. Speaking of history, anyone who's familiar, yeah. Jaws is celebrating its 45th anniversary this year. And today on our show, we're pleased to welcome a guest who was actually in the movie and also is working on several projects related to the movie Jaws. So if you're a fan of Jaws, this is the interview that you want to be here for, not one you don't want to miss. I want to welcome in David Bigelow to the show. I'm going to bring him back in here. Welcome, David. Thanks for joining us tonight. How are you, sir? Hey, guys. Not hearing you at the moment. You're not hearing. Um, okay, so he needs to probably. Go, he might. He might need to go into his cam and mic settings and unmute. Sorry, can you hear me? Yes, yes. we can hear you. Okay. Before he's in a sock. Can you hear me now? Good. Let me just disable the. Uh, I think. Um. I think. Well, he's doing it from a Mac, so I don't know the Mac. Not a Mac, but an iPad. So I don't know the iPad settings for streaming. Fucking Apple products. So well, while he fixes while he fixes up that uh that technical difficulty here. All right, can you hear me now? Or can I hear you? Yeah, we can hear you. Are you able to hear us? Hear yep, we can hear you loud and clear. Huh? Okay. Hmm. How are we gonna do this? Let me chat with him on the side while you guys are doing the thing. I'll chat with him on the side and see if I can get it get it to work. The joy of doing a live podcast. <laughs> right. Testing one two. Testing one two. Yes, we can hear you. Can you hear us? That's a big negatory. <laughs> <laughs> he was just talking to us a little bit ago. Yeah, that's weird. 
It's it really weird. Tell him, uh, Brian, tell him to just drop out of StreamYard and try to reload it. Okay. But oh, this gives you guys... His headphones probably aren't paired to his iPad, maybe. <laughs> That's... He was talking to us like five minutes. Oh. Yeah. Well, we were waiting for you, Slow-Mo Wookie. But... Slow-Mo Wookie! <laughs> man's, man's a busy man. Yeah. I got a lot going on. That, that catnap cat was, uh, was real important, huh? It's uh, you don't know how important it was. That's good. Well, yeah. Well, while we're waiting for David. Make sure you guys get your uh, your jaws questions up and ready to go. Looks like he's coming back here. Can you hear us now, David? Does a shark really have two? I, I, yeah, I can hear you. I hey, need to re-enter the room. There All we right. go. There, there we go. go. The joys of doing a live podcast. But welcome. We're happy to hear have you here. How are you doing tonight? Thanks. I'm having a great end of a, a really fast-paced week for me, and uh, you know, very excited about what's going on. And uh, thanks so much for having me on. It's uh, it's a great time to be a Jaws fan. Absolutely. Why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about your background when it comes to the movie Jaws? Yeah, certainly. So I was um, I was a five-year-old kid living on Martha's Vineyard. My family had only moved there uh, about 18 months earlier. And Jaws came to town on Martha's Vineyard. And uh, Martha's Vineyard is not a place that had many movies shot there. About the only thing that we were known for at the time was the Ted Kennedy incident on Chappaquiddick. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that was kind of a, a, a negative piece of news about the island, or at least something that was, you know, notoriously associated with it. And when Universal Studios came to Martha's Vineyard, everybody was a little bit uh, just sort of unaware of really what that meant to the island. Um, the island was in the, you know, it was the time of like the, uh, the, the, the gas crisis of the 70s of, you know, having just a bad economy. So a lot of islanders were kind of, you know, pretty poorly, you know, set up financially. And when Jaws came to town, there was a huge amount of opportunity. Um, so... I basically was a kid going to kindergarten, and my teacher, my drama teacher, was Lee Fierro, who plays Mrs. Kintner in Jaws, and she's the one who slaps Roy Scheider's character. Mm -hmm. um, and she got cast because Lee is a uh, classically trained actress from New York City and moved to Martha's Vineyard just a couple of years beforehand. Wait, I got to ask a quick so, question. You were taking... Drama class, acting drama classes at five years old? <laughs> um, it was just something that the school offered. I think uh -huh. it was because Lee wanted to do it. She was, she loved having, you know, kids sort of, you know, experience theater in a way. It was, mm -hmm. um, it was just a fun thing. So it wasn't okay. like my parents wanted to turn me into Shirley Temple or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, you wanted um, to be the next Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a, it was definitely not on my career path whatsoever. But it uh, it was a fun class, and uh, she sometimes she didn't even talk about acting. Sometimes she just wanted to connect with the kids uh, on a personal level, and she really did a great job of making us feel not like kids to her that you know, um, but just other people. So she was really wonderful. She passed away this past spring from uh, coronavirus, oh, uh, no. unfortunately, um, and. Uh, I, it's, uh, you know, I had known her, of course, when I was on the island way back when, and I hadn't seen her, and, and friends of mine in the Jaws community said, you know, it wouldn't be great for you two to get together again. And I said, yes, yeah, someday, maybe at the 45th celebration, she'll come to the island. She, was, she moved to Ohio. Uh, she had been on Martha's Vineyard for decades after Jaws. So um, 
So anyway, Lee uh, said, listen, I've been cast in Jaws, and we're going to be shooting a scene uh, down at the State Beach. You know, we have this State Beach that basically is the whole northern shore of Martha's Vineyard, which is an open beach that goes for miles. And I was taking swimming lessons uh, at the beach, and it was mandated by the town of Oak Bluffs that you take swimming lessons if you're new to the island and they want to make sure you're safe and so forth. So she knew that, and she said, why don't you come down after you are done with your swimming lessons and come down to Big Bridge? We didn't call it Jaws Bridge. Now it's known as Jaws Bridge because it was in the movie, and you see Roy Scheider running down the jetty to that, that scene. It was the 4th of July sequence where they shot that. Um, so uh, I said, sure, and I'm a five-year-old kid. What do I know about you know movie sets and films being shot? I, you know, I thought... You know, there'll be a guy with a camera and, you know, like, it, it, I didn't imagine it was going to be 80 people, three huge grip and electric trucks, um, masses of people on walkie-talkies. Like, it was a circus. At least to me, it looked like a circus. I'm sure it was organized to Universal Studios. So it intimidated me. And I, uh, I basically, I, I got to Lee and I kind of grabbed her by the thigh as a little five-year-old kid. I was like, what am I doing? What, what's going on here? <laughs> And she said, you're going to be fine. You're just going to play in the water with the football. The scene is uh, the Alex Kintner attack sequence. And so she said, you just get in the water, and with the other kids, you throw the football around, and they'll tell you what to do. That's, you don't worry. You're not, it's, it's, pretend you're playing, and that's all you're going to have to do. I was like, okay. So, um, but it was early May or late April. I don't remember exactly when that sequence was shot. And if you know anything about Northeast United States, is the water is not warm till really late July. So we were in that water, and I always like to tell people that the reason that the crowd scenes in Jaws, everybody looks so terrified, is because they're actually cold, and there's a very similar look on their faces <laughs> to being cold or being terrified. I don't know if that was intentional, but... The, the Jaws, the production of Jaws basically knew that they needed to get all their beach scenes wrapped up before all the tourists showed up for their summer vacations. So they shot all of their land-based sequences earlier in the season. And then finally, when everybody was showing up after Memorial Day, the, the, the set went to sea and filmed 20 weeks on the ocean to get all the orca sequences done. So they were out on that water for 20 weeks getting their asses kicked by the ocean. Forget and, that. Uh, no, no, oh, not, not this guy. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, there, everybody was seasick, apparently. Um, so, Sick uh, of the back sea. To the beach scene, yeah. Back <laughs> to the beach scene was, um, you know, the thing is Alex Kintner, he's played by Jeffrey Voorhees, who actually now is on Martha's Vineyard. He manages a restaurant called The Wharf in Eggertown. And he'll sign an Alex Kintner t-shirt for you if you go in. Um, and uh, But he was getting, he's the kid who's eaten on the raft and gets sucked down into the water and eaten by the shark. And they needed to do that shot about six or seven times. But what happened is that the blood bag that bursts and kind of geysers up in the water, uh, they needed to wait for that to all clear out and dissipate in the water to reset the, the shot every oh. time. So we were there probably six hours just getting that shot taken over and over, waiting 45 minutes to an hour for that blood color to dissipate in the water. And they had wool blankets out and there was hot chocolate and hot cider and like stuff just to keep you warm because people were getting blue and frozen and, you know, it was, it was cold. It was definitely yeah. cold. It was maybe 62 degrees in the water or something like that. Um, 
So the playing football part was actually pretty welcome. It's like stay warm if you're actually moving around. Um, so yeah, that was my history in the film. You you literally see me for like seven or eight frames in the movie. I'm the I'm the shot. You see me right in the shot after the dolly zoom of Roy Scheider. That telescoping shot on him when he realizes the kid just been eaten in front of him. And uh, so um, it was a it was a great experience. And uh, when I saw Jaws that summer, it was the summer of '75 when it came out. Um, you know. I was expecting a monster movie like Godzilla or something. I didn't, you know, because we saw the shark and me and my friends would sneak around the island. They had a place called Shark City where they kept all the sharks. And before security got really tightened up, you could see the sharks and they were big, but they weren't very scary up, up close. They were rubber and the teeth kind of bent and, you know, it, they were not really all that intimidating when you got close to them. So I thought like Godzilla or Gamera or any of these things I was seeing on Saturday morning, you know, creature double feature that we have in, in Boston back then. Um, when we saw the movie, they did a screening for audiences, uh, the cast and, uh, and extras and stuff, a, a, a screening just for the Martha's Vineyard people. And we were blown away by how this movie changed everything about our perception of it. We thought it was going to be a dud because they were supposed to shoot for 55 days. The schedule went to 159. Their budget almost quadrupled based on the problems that they had. And they turned in a movie that was is still to this day a classic. I mean, I don't think there's a better shark movie that will ever be made compared to no. Jaws. Uh-uh. No, Jaws is, <laughs> Jaws is still the reason I don't go in the ocean. For real. That's, a lot of people are like that. A lot of people. Um, and now I was just on Martha's Vineyard this past weekend, and we actually do have great white sharks around the island. And I'm afraid to go in the water now too. And that that's a real, you know, yeah. dis- disappointment to me. I grew up with that island, and and now we saw seven seals pass by within 30 feet of the shore in about an hour. And where there are seals, there's very likely to be sharks. So how? Uh, quick question about that. Has that just been recently? Because I know I've been. Watching, you know, stories about how they're tracking these big, huge, great white sharks down there, noticing that they're spending more time going up and down the East Coast. Is that just a recent thing that they've started, you know, showing up at Martha's Vineyard more? Well, they, um, the, the place that they concentrated that, that most of the attention right now on is Cape Cod, which is, you know, a good 40 miles north, uh, northwest, or sorry, northeast, excuse me, of the island. And there's a seal population that's been protected for many, many decades. And there's a combination of global uh, climate change that has warmed up the water. So sharks really like the warm water. And they definitely love their sausages, which is seals. They got plenty of sausages to eat in these seals. And um, the seals have gotten so great in number. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of seals now in the area. And the sharks are just having a field day picking them off out in the water. You know, you go boating near Chatham, Mass., which is out on the outer Cape, and you'll go by and you'll see half seals everywhere. They're just, they've been chomped in half. Um, but the the truth is that now the, there's a couple of different islands just off Martha's Vineyard that have seal populations. And so the sharks have gotten wise to that. And they're starting to move down into those waters. And we actually have, there's a small island um, called Muskegon Island that's just off of the east part of Martha's Vineyard towards Nantucket. And it's the largest seal birth, uh, like nursery in the United States. 
So wow. literally the, the, the largest one that we have in the country and it's all these pups and there's hundreds of thousands of seals there. And you just got to imagine the sharks are, are just, they're going there because they're like, this is easy prey, these mm -hmm. young pups. Um, so um, yeah, sharks are growing in number and it's been really recent that that's been showing up. Um, there are people who I know on Martha's Vineyard who have been fishermen and, and sword fishermen and they've known sharks have been there for a long time, but they've never come in that close to shore. But the seals are now coming in close to shore. And I'm not a behaviorist or anything, but it would seem that the seals know that maybe it's better to be closer to the shore if you're thinking you've got a predator on your tail. Um, but those predators are coming in close. And if you look on the internet, you'll see more and more footage of sharks. You know, it definitely happens a lot in Florida right now. They're getting within 15, 20 feet of the edge of the shore and swimming right between people's legs. Yeah, their peak, so, their peak feeding area is that that first, you know, 20 meters or so of, of the because that's where all the food's at. So I mean, if you got if you got shark bacon swimming around off of the beach, sooner or later a shark's gonna get there. Yeah, yeah, we, and we've only had, we had one fatality two summers ago on Cape Cod. A guy was boogie boarding um, off of uh, Wellfleet, and he, uh, he was out there at dusk. And the thing about, sharks are a little bit like um, uh, the military in that they know that the best time to attack is either at dawn or dusk when the light is changing and uh, the, the eyesight of their opponent is weakest. Um, we all sort of have a, a pretty bad uh, vision problem when the light is changing because their eyes are adjusting. So, um, and that's one thing I've got, uh, uh, my father has a place in Hawaii, which is a lot of sharks. And you're told by the natives, never go in the water when the sun is rising or going down on the horizon. It's just, you're just asking for trouble if you're going to go out at that time. And this kid didn't know that. He didn't realize that. And he was, he was uh, bitten in the leg and bled out on the beach um, probably he was maybe 30, 40, 50 feet out at most boogie boarding on that, on that wave. And the shark just thinks you're a seal. Like all they see is a silhouette, you know, if you're wearing a black, whatever, they, you know, seals have almost kind of a humanoid figure to them with the head and the body. So sharks don't like to eat us so much, but I think that they easily mistake us for what they typically do like to eat. They take a bite, they realize we're not a seal and they mm -hmm. can take off. Ooh, too much cholesterol. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually it's um not that i'm an expert um but in my fear of sharks i've, I've done some studying uh a big part of it is milk it's milk in and dairy products in the human body we when we sweat it out through our pores it's very very foreign to sharks so sharks take a take a bite or get close enough to smell it and they're like what is that that doesn't smell right so um, the because there's no dairy in the ocean. Before we go in the ocean. Yeah. Milk baths. Milk baths that's before right. we go in the uh -huh. ocean. Get your wetsuit. You... Yeah. Maybe, that's a, maybe that's an opportunity for the dairy corporation to bring back got milk and you're standing on the beach and you want to like go in the water. Like, this might keep the shark from getting on you. So, so you should actually show them cottage cheese so they stay away. All, all natural shark repellent. <laughs> just smear yourself in cream cheese when you go up. Just tie, just tie milk jugs to your wetsuit and punch them so it drips so out slowly. It, so since they can see the silhouette, do you think if people would wear like um, glow sticks, would that keep them away? Because it's this foreign. I don't know. Do they see in black and white? Do they see it colored? I mean, do do we know? 
Well, the, if you've ever, there's a there's an interesting video. Um, Valerie Taylor, who was the person who actually shot with her um, her late husband all the actual shark footage in Jaws, was down there in a diving suit made of chainmail, very expensive. Yeah. There was only a couple of them made in on on the planet, and she was getting attacked by these sharks wearing this big shiny suit, and they were just trying to tear her up and this chain mail protected mm -hmm. her but mm -hmm. everywhere her body her legs her arms her head they, they just bit everything so yeah. i think they, in some ways sharks they have since they have since reinvented that suit because the original suits were a very uh polished chain mail and mm -hmm. so it looks like fish scales because certain fish when they oh, hit, the way when, they, when they hit the glint of the the light that mm -hmm. does reach in in that depth it it gives it that shine like a fish scale mm -hmm. so they uh, discovered that a lot of that real polished chain mail was giving off that almost um allure of, of certain fish that sharks like to feed on so now they do a very um dulled brushed aluminums and and such for those uh, protective shark suits uh because they want to they don't want to give that that scale reflection right oh that's interesting i, I should take a class with you about all your sharks i was about here. to say i, I see <laughs> i see two people the discovery channel should be calling for shark week right now not not mike tyson yeah. call solo wookie yeah, I, I Tyson uh, promo. I couldn't believe they're doing Mike Tyson fights a shark. I mean, someone's gonna get bit from Happy Days. They, just, they, uh, they, they definitely jumped the shark on that one. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> yes, they did. Yeah. I I I grew up. I like I said. I am I am. I won't go in the ocean, and a big part of it is because of Jaws. I saw it very very young, um, and and it it scared me because I was young, I didn't understand. So I'm one of those people that if I'm afraid of something rather than inhibit the rest of my life, I, I research it, I find out about it, I, I you know, look stuff up. With it. So I right. ended up over the last 45 years getting a ton of shark knowledge because I'm like, I, I, if I understand it better, I can better protect myself. And in the end, I understand a lot. I'm by far no expert. And I came to the conclusion, if you don't want to get bit, don't go in the water. <laughs> and your mom never had to force you to drink your milk with dinner ever again, huh? No, nope, she didn't. Once I found that out, I was like, bring it on. <laughs> drink a lot of milk, young yeah. Timmy. It's interesting. Sharks will eat you. Jim Beller, I, uh, Jim Beller is a friend of mine. He's the one of the he's the largest uh, Jaws memorabilia collectors in on the in the United States, um, possibly in the world, but definitely in the U.S. And Jim won't go in the water either. He's completely. He lives in Providence, Rhode Island. He takes trips to Martha's Vineyard, you know, um, and uh, will not go in the water. And it's interesting. It's sort of like it's sort of like why people learn it. Like they love shows about serial killers. They're fascinated by them, but they certainly don't want to spend any time with them, you know. Um, yeah, and so it's it, you, you are sort of fascinated by what you fear, I think, in many ways, and sure. and uh, I think that's Jaws did tap into that kind of primal thing about not being able to see in the water, and there's a certain element of you're out of control, and you're not your it's not your natural environment, and I think that's what Jaws did really well was kind of around the world Jaws is known even in so many different countries because every country usually has a beach somewhere and people can relate to this idea of being in the water and water isn't, you know, unless you live in the Caribbean, you really can't see what's underneath when you're out there. 
and that fear that there's this 25-foot behemoth shark that you can't even tell is there until it's already pulling you under. It's fairly terrifying. It's the awesome thing about living in Arizona. You will never get attacked by a shark, <laughs> ever. Right. I mean, you, you have 50 other species of animals that want to kill you, but no sharks. No sharks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go to Australia, you know, you, you avoid the Great Barrier Reef, but there's yep. about 600 different species of anything else that could kill you mm -hmm. easily there. One of the most deadly places on planet Earth. So I'm glad that you brought up Jim. I was going to ask you about that. Do you still talk to him? Because um, two years ago, he did a special on his collection that I actually happened to catch. And uh, he acquired, I believe it was the barrels, the big giant yellow floating barrels from the movie. And he had a really hard time finding them. Um, do you have any... Do you still talk to Jim? And do you have anything from the movie that you've kept or that you've searched out to to keep for your own keepsake? Um, well, it's uh, it's interesting. I can I can share with you something. Um, well, yes, I, Jim and I are good friends, um, and we work together. Um, you know, the group that I created called Making the Monster for the project that we're involved in. Uh, Jim has been a, a dear friend and a great consultant. Um, he's his wealth of knowledge about Jaws has really uh, you know bolstered my own. And um, so over the last two and a half years, I've known Jim for longer, but uh, the last two and a half years since Making the Monster has been actively engaged in, in our project, it's been a real help to have Jim involved, as well as some other people that we have um, attached to the project who are in the community. Um, Peter Spadetti, when it comes down to talking about some of these artifacts from the film, Peter Spadetti, uh, another friend of mine, bought the fighting chair from the Orca, the one that Robert Shaw sits in, and he mm -hmm. got it at an auction. And he spent over $30,000 on that chair. So, um, you know, and he's got the fin that was the tow fin that was used in the in the estuary scene when the, you know, the 4th of July attack occurs. So there are some people who really love this physical connection to the film. Um, and uh, and there's one thing, if you excuse me, I didn't think I was going to have to show this, but I'll run and grab it. <laughs> I, love nice. show, I love show and tell. I do too. Good shark paraphernalia. Bring it. <laughs> Bring it on. This is going to be I know good. I know was in chat right now. She'd be talking um, about the time friend, I tried to sacrifice her sharks. <laughs> my friend John Campopiano bought from uh, the Murphys, who were worked, for, worked on the set of Jaws, this section of the Orca's hull, the Orca 2. Oh, this nice. actually came from the sinking version of the boat. There were two Orcas. There was the Orca that you actually saw underway and chasing the shark and the orca too was the boat that they could raise and lower with these barrels of, of air that they would pump in and pump out to show that final sequence so john bought this from the murphys uh as a, a, a basically because he loves collecting that's awesome yeah i'm not a big collector myself i see the fascination with it um I love telling stories about things. I, I work in media production and I've been in television for about 25 years. So I love the ability to sort of convey emotions around things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, you see my shark over here. That that came from uh, Bruce Shark UK. They, they sent that to me uh, when they learned about the project. And it's a beautiful Bruce replica. Uh, they do a great job making these these sharks. Um, and they're doing more. And, and But I definitely I think they're, they create great they're actually doing a 50-inch version of Bruce. Pretty mm. big likeness of Bruce. 
That's too big. That's too big. That's too big. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, they it's it's overwhelming. <laughs> you can keep it. <laughs> if, if you need a, if you're gonna need a bigger shark, you know where to go. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So tell us a little bit about your project, because I was looking at it today. I was looking at your your GoFundMe for it, or your you know your Kickstarter for it, and then I was looking at the article that has the where you're you know you're talking about it in the virtual jaws stuff and then i saw you bantering in the comments with people about it yeah well um the, the, actually when i first started the project i did a gofundme from with basically family and friends assisting because um when i i i work at um at wgbh in boston a pbs station i met john campopiano who bought that section of the orchid too and you know he kind of rekindled my fascination with jaws after many decades of me just kind of you know, I worked in media, I, I had a career, I had a family, and so I just kind of forgot about all that stuff. And, and meeting him and, and getting to know somebody who was so in love with the movie again rekindled all these memories about it. And it just kind of struck me one day, why hasn't anybody made a story about the making of the movie? The making of Jaws is one of the most famous, you know, mm -hmm. colossal challenged productions of filmmaking that yep. has ever existed. To this day, Steven Spielberg says, even after he's done, you know, umpteenth amounts of movies, Jaws was the hardest movie he ever made. Yeah, yeah. And he suffered a lot of trauma, mental and emotional trauma, from what went, he went through on that film. And I always thought it would be a really interesting story to tell what it would be like to have been on Martha's Vineyard in 1974 from the spring until the fall, the six months or so that they were on the island, both from the point of view of people who were in, on the crew as, uh, you know, came out from Los Angeles with the studio and then teamed up with the Martha's Vineyard locals to do to make the movie. And the, it really was a combination of, of local Martha's Vineyard people working with studio people to solve all the problems that they were having on that picture. Um, and the shark breaking down was just one of the problems. Yeah, it, broke, began, it notoriously broke down over and over and over and... And they, from all the documentaries I, you know, and, and info that I've seen of Jaws, that was the biggest problem they had was was that Bruce just kept breaking and breaking and going down and just was nonstop problems. I, the only thing I'll counter with you is that it wasn't the biggest problem. It certainly was a large problem that people told the story of. But um, the, the, the more I've researched this, the more I've learned that it, that was the tip of the iceberg of the problems. The open ocean and the elements were a big problem. The, um, they were rushed into production because the book was still on the top 10 bestsellers list for the New York Times. So the studio forced the film to go out months before it really was ready to be shot. Um, sure. When they, as far as the shark problems go, Joe Alps, who was the production designer and designed Bruce, he was told, take it off the lot by Marshall Green, the studio head that he was working for, and said, okay, well, I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna go to like defense contractors to figure out how to make this shark. Defense, like McDonnell Douglas told Joe Alves, they needed 18 months to make a shark that would actually function in the water for what he was asking them to do. He had three months to get it back to Martha's Vineyard after they started the project. So, you know, the, there's a lot of people who have to throw some of the people under the bus about the, the, the making the shark in Jaws. And the reality is they were forced to do it quickly. And they also yeah. had a strike. There was going to be a strike. And so any film that began shooting after that strike started, then you could not start your film. So they had to go into production 
as soon as they could before the strike in order to stay on schedule because the movie was had to ride the coattails of the best-selling novel by Peter Benchley. So there was a confluence of that. But beyond just that, there was sabotage of the Jaws set. There were things being stolen. There was people pouring sugar into the gas tanks of the boats working on the film. There was so many problems that um, it's, it's no wonder people didn't literally go insane and drown in the ocean someday because was, of what they was went through. Was there so much sabotage because of, like, locals didn't like it happening there? Or was it just a reason? I think it was actually locals. There was locals loved the fact the production was paying so much money into the economy that if they delayed the, the film from mm. being able to, to finish, that they would keep staying there until, you know, they finished and they just prolonged it. So, um, uh, but, you know, that wasn't like the whole island was, you know, sabotaging the set. Um, that was just a few people who were troublemakers. You know, local boat guys staged a uh, revolt. Uh, they said that they weren't being paid enough and, and you know, they were they got to kind of unionize themselves and the studio had to step in and negotiate with them. Um, the Teamsters, the Teamsters insisted on doing all the transportation for all of the crew and the cast. And some like Joe Alves just wanted to ride his bike from his house a mile to the, the, the location. And they were like, no, you got to take a car. And, and he stood his ground. And then finally, a Teamster drove an old Buick following his bike so that they could get paid to do it, even though Joe wasn't in the car. Um, so it, it was really interesting to learn about all these stories. So um, Jim Beller, when he learned uh, about the fact that I wanted to get into this project, he introduced me to, to Joe Alves. And Joe Alves was the production designer. He designed the shark. Everything about the look of Jaws in terms of the production, he, he did it. He made it. Joe was, you know, Joe went on to do Close Encounters of the Third Kind following mm -hmm. Jaws. And most of that is also his, his design at hand. Um, and I met Joe and I told him about the project. And... Um, he was really fascinated by it because he said the one thing about the documentaries about Jaws is they all put Spielberg and the producers and the cast in the center of that story. But nobody goes outside of that perimeter of that, that close circle around the cameraman. And there's a whole crew of 100, more, 100 plus people that work tirelessly. Well, I shouldn't say tirelessly. They worked like they didn't have a stopping point. Um, for six months on that film, on the open ocean, uh, sometimes, you know, 14, 15 hours a day, um, not knowing when they were going to leave because they had no concept of when do we finish this film? They just didn't know. And uh, Joe always thought that that crew, himself being, you know, he's, people have told stories about him in documentaries, but the crew as a whole never really got their due recognition. And I agree with that premise that... Jaws has largely been told a story in documentary about the, the, the inner circle around Spielberg that was the creative mindset. But what the rest of the people went through working on that film has largely been untold. The second part of what I wanted to do differently is I don't want to make a documentary. There's been about six or so. Mm -hmm. I want to make a docudrama, which is a scripted, acted professional actors we basically it's a period film and actually it's actually not a film it's a six episode television series so the concept is to take the making of jaws split it up over six one hour episodes and get you into the island when they show up and all the problems that they dealt with from the land-based shooting to the ocean-based shooting to the editing and how there were happy accidents along the way that birthed the blockbuster film that to this day is loved by all 
But at the time, they had no idea they were sitting on that kind of success. They thought they would be lucky to finish the film. And so Making the Monster, um, which has unfortunately been held up by the virus, like most media projects, um, is, uh, you know, we're moving forward uh, slowly. But, um, you know, we've done some things that we need to sort of get ready for that. And that's part of what our other project is, Return of the Orca, which was kind of born out of Making the Monster. And we're responding to the current situation of the virus slowing down that project. But we have the ability to now do this other project, Return of the Orca. You, you now, how much, much, oh, go ahead, Chad. How much of that original footage and back, back behind the scenes footage are you able to, to access and get a hold of to make this? And Because and, I'd imagine that some of that's going to be kind of hard to get a hold of for that, that uh, documentary that that you're gonna make yeah it's um is a, a docudrama um it, it it does rely on a great deal of research and using some archival footage from the the, the making of the film it's, it's out there the bbc actually went to the vineyard and shot uh, a lot of footage and you can find that on the internet interviews with spielberg and the actors and so mm -hmm. forth um you know what i've been doing is i have uh, i worked with joe alves and went out to California and shot interviews with most of the crew who are still alive and, and, and know, uh, have, recall great stories about the, excuse me, about the production. And so those interviews have been really helpful because they we've been asking questions that a lot of people don't ask them about when they, other documentaries have, have done that. They, they ask a lot of the same questions that most of them do about Spielberg and how you guys figured out working with the sharks and so forth. We did a lot more of the sort of the, you know, as opposed to talking about the lieutenants, the captains, and the generals, we wanted to get in with the enlisted people, so to speak, and uh, learn about some of their challenges. And I also went and interviewed people on Martha's Vineyard who still live there, who were involved with the crew or the filmmaking, um, and got some really interesting, insightful stories that um, we're going to tell, and some people will be surprised to learn about how some people behaved during the making nice. of uh, It was the 70s. That's the one thing I'll say. It was the 70s. Sure. Um, I mean, I was a five-year-old on Martha's Vineyard hitchhiking between towns alone. That's the way the <laughs> 70s were back then. Uh, today, you'd get your parents would be called up and, you know, you'd be in the media as, like, you know, neglectful parents. But I'm oh, talking you sneaking around town during the, f the filming of Jaws. Yeah, you know, it was a private taxi network for me. I just stuck my <laughs> thumb out and I got a ride. Um, it was easy. You just had that, that little kid cue to peel off. Yeah, and I'd, I would, I'd go out, I'd, I'd leave the house in my bathing suit with a towel wrapped around my neck barefoot and just go venture down to the beach. And I'm like, hey, I got to go like, get thumb down to the big bridge or go to Eggertown or whatever. So it was a real exciting time. Like, you know, I don't know, Ted Bundy could have picked me up and I wouldn't have done you know, anything about it. So, um, so <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, the research is important. And, and, some of this footage uh, that you're talking about, I think, would be really helpful. Um, but I think large part, we're planning on recreating everything. And, um, and and doing period pieces is very, you know, challenging. You have to find the clothes. You have to get people to sure. put on long hair again. you got to, with the music of the 70s, you know, what was popular in 74 and so forth. So um, yes. it's a real recreation. But, you know, I like to describe it as we're doing the Apollo 13, but about the making of Jaws. That's pretty much what the project is. Nice. Yeah, I could I could see where a lot of um, 
it, it would make it difficult to really get a hold of and, and really study some of that earlier footage and earlier pieces and and maybe even to find everybody because that was a huge crew wasn't it i mean that was to film all that so if you're going for the docudrama and you want to talk to them and be like hey uh, you know what was your memories about it you know that that'd be kind of tough yeah well we've talked i've talked to about 15 or so people um from the crew who they all kind of have that fog of war sort of you know yeah if it was 45 years ago how much do you think i can remember and then the more we would talk and you know we would just roll footage and just keep going and things would just kind of percolate for them and 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 joe was there joe would be part of the interviews and and he would say remember that time that we went down and we were at that bar and and that girl came over it's like oh yeah that's right we we did do that we learned about their favorite watering holes the the the, the crew yeah. of stayed at a place called the kelly house and they would go to this place called the Old Colonial, which was right across the street. And that was kind of the Jaws crew hangout when they were done shooting for the and day. Nine months later, how many people had kids? <laughs> <laughs> there may be how some many Jaws, Jaws babies, babies do you think yeah. created? <laughs> um, so, but, but that's kind of interesting stuff. I mean, they were real people. These were, you know, I mean, all these time people are, there's a lot of people who look at filmmaking as being one of these things that's like, Oh, these people live these glamorous lives and they have all these, you know, they don't do everything like normal people do, but they do, you know, they they like to go out and drink and they like to relax and sure. and they need to blow off steam like everybody who's overworked on anything. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting process of un, uh, unwrapping layers and layers of what is the background of Jaws and careers that it started. Um, you know, Kevin Pike was a bus boy at the Harborview Hotel and uh, Joe Alves and a bunch of people before the shooting got rolling came in there and uh, Kevin was just making sure they were well taken care of. And next thing you know, they leave and Joe leaves behind his, uh, his valise of storyboards. And Kevin sees it at the table and he runs out into the parking lot and he catches Joe and he goes here. And Joe's like, oh, thank you. Do you know what these are? I would have been so much trouble. Kevin basically got himself onto the crew of Jaws because of what he did for Joe Alves. Ten years later, he was making the car for Back to the Future. Kevin designed the car in Back to the Future. Nice. So it started his career. You know, I mean, people were, people started, people left Martha's Vineyard and moved to Hollywood to mm -hmm. basically build, start uh, working in the industry. Richard, we're not planning on doing that. Richard, Richard Dreyfus, I mean, he wasn't very big until after all that. Yeah, Dreyfus was, um, he had just done that movie, The Apprenticeship of Betty Kravitz. And uh, interestingly, um, he, you know, Dreyfus enjoyed himself on the island and he would take women out on dates. And uh, I think that sometimes he would take them to see that movie that was playing on the vineyard um, <laughs> and say, look at me, I'm up there on the screen. Um, and, uh, and so that, that was another interesting anecdote that, that we got about. Um, I mean, the crew and the cast were all really interesting, learning about what Roy Scheider was like on the set and Robert Shaw. And of course, everybody talks about the famous rivalry between, uh, you know, Richard Dreyfus and Robert Shaw. Mm -hmm. And there was a bit of that going on. And I, I interviewed um, one of the people that I'm, uh, I, I work with now uh, is Chris Crawford. And Chris designed it. He built the Orca for Joe Alves and he was the production pilot on, on the film. So he drove the Orca. Every shot that you see the Orca underway, Chris was kind of like ducked down, hiding behind the wheel 
letting Richard Dreyfus up top look like he was driving, but it was actually Chris driving. So he was out there for 20 weeks on the sea with the cast, and the, you know, he basically said that Robert Shaw didn't really hate Richard Dreyfus, but he thought he needed a dressing down, and it was kind of like an older brother, kid brother type relationship. Um, that Dreyfus was, you know, he thought he was, you know, out of shape and didn't, you know, hadn't done theater and, you know, like all these things about him. He was just sort of privileged and Shaw loved to take him to task. Um, mm -hmm. And they had they had a really great relationship that went, went from hot to cold at times. And Dreyfus definitely did this thing where one day Shaw was, you know, having a drink of, uh, of a bourbon on the boat and Dreyfus grabbed the glass and poured it over the side of the orca and oh, now fight words around the world. Um, that day was not a good day. <laughs> no, well, no, it's he. He liked his drink. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. So um, you've just challenged me to a duel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's an anecdote about uh, Shaw challenging uh, Dreyfus to jump off the crow's nest of the orca uh, on a dare. And Spielberg getting in the middle of it, he's like, no, you're not jumping off the crow's nest. You could break your neck or a leg, or where would we be with the film? You know, we're not going <laughs> to do that. We're I already think, behind. Don't make it worse. I think yeah. Jaws would benefit from a giant cannonball scene right in the middle of, of everything going on in the orca. <laughs> <laughs> when, it, when it has that edit where he where he transfers from the it, it transfers them talking to the sky over him, it'd been nice just to see a massive cannonball right off the crow's nest. Yeah, it would have been cooler if it was like you know how Wizard of Oz, like that that <laughs> little person, like hangs himself. If if it's it's just the the thing of Jaws in the background, you just see a cannonball. <laughs> <laughs> just see a giant like, kabunk as the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's um it, yeah it's a it's a great you know listen I, I I love Jaws as a film. I think they really they birthed something incredible out of that. It's you know, I like to, a lot of people are, there are people who don't get it, who say, what is it about Jaws that you think is so incredible? And um, I, I, it's hard to pin down one thing. It's, again, it's, it's a layered picture. But, you know, the, the use of the vineyard locals, you know, a lot of those people were not actors. They were cast. I mean, the guy who plays the doctor, the medical examiner that Dreyfus, you know, counters and says this was a boat accident, that was an actual doctor on the island, mm -hmm. Dr. Nevin. So he just got in a suit and played another doctor in the film with some dialogue. Um, a doctor you know, playing uh, a doctor. Yeah, it's it just they—they they really, Inception. you know, Spielberg I think worked with Sherry Rhodes, the casting director, to get as authentic people as they could, because they knew that they cast their principal role with these actors that they brought out, but that they had so many other positions to fill in terms of the townspeople. And I always like to think of Jaws as like it's kind of like Fargo. You completely identify with the type of people that are in Fargo and also in Jaws, those kind of New England fishing village style, no nonsense, you know, really, you know, not always very trusting um, of outsiders and so forth. Uh, that's the thing about Martha's Vineyard is like, even though I grew up there, I'm considered a wash ashore, which is you weren't born there. You're not an islander. Um, so you're an outsider and you're interloping. Um, but you know, I, I get along with plenty of people there. I just think that it's it's a, it's an old New England style sensibility that just doesn't go away. It's, it comes from the Puritans, I think. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's it's it, you know, it, it's such a rich story, and I think the Jaws and the telling the story about the making of it and making the monster is going to be a real welcome treat because there's a whole another story that's never been told. Film's 45 now. By the time it's 50, it would be nice to have people get one more treat 
And I'm not a person who believes in a remake or, you know, another sequel to Jaws. But I think a story about the making of the film from a whole nother level would be a welcome thing for audiences. I think I think Jaws is a movie you can't remake because you can't capture that magic in a bottle a second time. And all the issues they had on that movie are what make it so great because they had so much of that so many shark issues that the shark isn't in very much of the movie. And that's the, the the horror movie trope is you've got you see the monster too much in horror movies and you like that that feel of eeriness and not knowing what's there and I think that's that's what makes Jaws work so well is, is a lot of that. Yes. Yes. Exactly. This Absolutely. Really taken like the and it's something that's been mimicked a billion times now, but the way they just created suspense, like you know. The first time watching Jaws, you're at the edge of your seat. You, you know, your heart is pumping. The fuck is going on? You know, keeping that hidden is, you know, that's, I, I think it's brilliant. And I actually didn't really know for a long time that it was because of problems. I just thought that that's what they were going for. Like, they made this movie where the the scary part of the movie is actually not even there all the time. Well, I think um, that when, so if you look at, at Joe Alves has all of his storyboards from when he was getting ready to shoot that film. And right from the opening scene when Chrissy Watkins is, oh. you have, <laughs> there's storyboards of that shark coming out of the water with him in his, uh, the girl in his mouth and crashing down into the surf. Oh. And, um, you know, you don't see the shark because of the problems because they couldn't get it working. But in many ways, that was a happy accident. Um, yeah. If you remember, you know, five years later uh, or four years later, Alien came out. And Alien was pitched to the studio as Jaws in Space. And Ridley Scott did a very deliberate thing. You don't see a heck of a lot of that Alien in that movie either. You know, it's fairly hidden throughout the film. And it probably has a little bit more screen time than Bruce in Jaws, but not a lot more, you know. Um, and so that was a convention that I think was, you know, the audience fills in their fear, the, the empty space, the white space of not knowing what's around the corner. And, and the scary gaps. Yeah, that, that slow build of the way they did that. And then on top of that, every time someone goes in the water, you're like, oh, here it comes. You feel that dread. And not every time does someone get eaten when they're in the water, which I thought was very well done because it built up that suspense like you were like oh they're gonna get it they're gonna get it and then you're like whoa okay they didn't those ones got they're safe they didn't get it but that opening sequence when she that is today <laughs> this day it is still the scariest sequence in any movie to me ever written ever shown the way that that she breathes when when she does that, <gasps> and then it drags her. Uh, it's I get I already got goosebumps, man. <laughs> <laughs> that scene to this day, it it, it scares me. As forty five year old man, I'm still that scene still is just wow, man. That's a scary scene. Yeah, it's very primal, and in many ways, you can identify like. There's bear attack scenes in movies, and there's, you know, um, but I think the Jaws, that opening scene is like, she's completely going to die. She knows it too, you know, there's, and the audience is sort of like, 
There's no, there's nothing that she can do to avoid this. And it's just the experience and the terror of being alive, waiting for the end to come. Um, and uh, I think that they, they did a, a really incredible job creating something that felt really natural and extremely you know, terrifying. And if they, if they had shown the shark early on, I think that it would have, it would have counted against that kind of terror. You know, we plenty of films, plenty of films show you the creature or the, or the killer or any of these things. And it, it doesn't, it, it sort of dissipates the energy of the terror that your own mind can create in there. Mm -hmm. um, so I agree. I think it's still one of the most terrifying scenes in cinema. And it doesn't get, you know, there's there's more of those. The one thing I will say about Jaws, that, um, and, and it, only when you've watched it as many times as a guy like me um, do you notice this, but watch it and, and appreciate the fact that you, if the shark isn't going to be there, you're not going to hear the music. The theme isn't there. And they did a really deliberate thing in choosing to use the music to let you know when to be frightened, really frightened. And then there's sequences where you've got like the feet kicking under, you know, you get that camera view of the people kicking and it's silent. All you're hearing is the natural sound of underwater. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like when those kids have that. Motherfucker. <laughs> those, the kids with the fake fin that they like, you know, it was like, it was his idea. He made me do it. You know, every time that fin is going through a shot, you don't hear the music. So you're like, okay, if you if you pay attention to stuff like that, or you're you know, and sure. you watches it enough times. But but, but the first crazy. time you watch it, you don't know that. So every right. time they show water, you're like, it's coming. They're going right. down. It's coming. Yeah. Get out of the water, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's the cool thing about Jaws is it's one of the few movies. It doesn't matter, young, old. Male, female, it doesn't matter. When you walk into the ocean, that's in the back of your head. Scared or not scared, that's in the back of your head. Yeah. The first thing that happens is motherfuckers are going, you know, like it's there forever. And people might not even know why it's being done. Like, you know, like a, you know, the, you know, the younger generation of people, but they just know that. Sharks scared. It's something that's ingrained in everybody now, and it will be forever because of Jaws. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I think that um, people at this point have sort of gotten used to the idea that sharks are in the water. Jaws definitely reminded people, even before they were really, I mean, you know, in the United States, I don't think we really had, except maybe for Southern California, a real uh, awareness of the fact that there were great white sharks out there. And now all along the eastern seaboard, all the way up to where we are here in the, in the northeast, we have great white sharks. And, um, you know, I, like I, I was just there on the vineyard last weekend, and we saw about seven seals in about 90 minutes from the south beach. And I, I'm a person who loves to be in the ocean. I've, I've loved it ever since I was a little kid. I'm not safe going in the water any longer when there are seals. And so I'm now I've got that fear. But um, you should just wear a sign that says not a seal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wear, I don't know, dress like my little pony so you don't look like one or something. something. You know? And drink your milk. <laughs> drink, drink your milk. I think that's a key part of why Jaws was successful as a. Um, I, I hate to call it a horror movie, even. I mean, it's a horror movie, but it's not. Really? The realistic, it was, it's a real thing. You really can get bit by a shark. 
and it's it's not like it's not like aliens you know like aliens was scary and freaky and and a very um you know sci-fi horror-esque uh movie but i'm not hanging out in space there's a chance a real life understanding logical understanding in my brain if i'm in the water I, I I could get bit, and not not even just a shark. I mean, there's other things out there that that mistake. That you. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, yeah, that. there's other things. The orcas, the you know, barracudas. There's things that will take it. They live. They're not coming where I live. I ain't going where they live. We've got a really good understanding. We have this agreement, and you know what? It works really fucking good for me. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, Kyle. Damn things that'll eat you. You know what? You don't come to the desert. I don't go in the ocean. We're cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you guys have scorpions. Scorpions are pretty, pretty scary too. You don't fuck with them. They don't fuck with you. It's easy. True. True. They don't go. That looks like something I need to sting. <laughs> and they run after you. They don't do they that. They don't mistake you for food. <laughs> they only do it when you're like fucking with them or like you rolled over on them and it's a defense mechanism we um we just uh, there's video that i just saw recently of the fact that we also have killer whales in the area some just sighted mm-hmm. off the coast of nantucket which yeah, are actually got killer in the name too you just stay away from yeah well <laughs> uh, the, the killer whale goes after the great white killer whale is one of the only it's like why the movie orca came out in 77 it was like yep. you thought jaws was you know the king of the the ocean well here's orca and killer killer whales actually they're fearsome predators and they're like pack hunters they coordinate their attacks like velociraptors um and uh they they do real damage to sharks too so it's it's getting to be a little bit like a cage match in the waters around cape cod it's like this you know uh who between the seals the sharks and the the, the killer whales um, who knows what the situation is going to be like in, you know, five Well, what you years. just told me was if I ever go to Martha's Vineyard, do not get in the ocean. <laughs> right. That's exactly what you told me. You should probably just stick to the bar on the harbor and enjoy the view of the water. That sounds What like you said was don't even bother and just go catch a, a Red Sox game. <laughs> that's, Absolutely. That's, what, that's, what, that's what I heard you just say. <laughs> Yeah, when we can have baseball again, it'll be a great, uh, great thing to do. Yeah, you told me to sit the green monster and try to catch me a foul ball. It, it's when it's when Kyle walks into the bar and everyone goes, Kyle. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> when you know you're at a place where everybody knows your name, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> like Norm from Cheers. <laughs> the the gal who married me, um, but. Or orchestrated the wedding and and uh she's actually from orleans up there next to cape cod and and uh my best friend spent summers repeated summers of up on that area working at a bicycle shop and uh so i i've seen and and a lot of pictures and heard a lot of the stories and uh, and on that of uh of some of this and and she has very much said you know, like you had already, that the the climate change of of animals and, and the way they're migrating is very unique because her parents still live up there, so she still goes home a lot and, and mm-hmm. sees them. And she says the same thing, that 
now they're starting to be, you know, the the orcas and the great whites and the seals and, and the populations really move north, which is odd. Yeah, it's it's been a, a evolutionary change in a lot of ways, and we're just having to kind of get used to it. Um, and by not getting in the ocean, by not <laughs> swimming in the ocean. And we're we're trying to. So our other project, we're trying to educate people with. Um, you know, we're. Uh, <laughs> Stay out of the water. It's not like you already knew that, though. <laughs> the only time Kyle wants to see Jaws pop out of the water is at Universal Studios, huh, Kyle? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sorry. What's your other project? Um, well, it's just it's uh, so we are um, getting ready for making the monster and getting ready to shoot this television series. We knew that we were going to need a couple of real, you know, real props that were going to be part of that, and one of those props would be the boat, the orca. Um, and the original boat, the Orca, and the other Orca, the Orca 2, were both lost. But basically, the Orca was purchased by someone after the film wrapped, and then Universal Studios realized they had a hit on their hands, and they bought the boat back from this guy for 10 times the price that he had bought it for originally. That's a businessman right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then they brought it to Universal Studios in L.A. and put it on that back lot lake, uh, just kind of tied to a dock, where the Jaws shark would come out and the, the people would take that blue tram tour and go by and it would jump out of the water and spray you and stuff. The orca just sat in that lake and finally just rotted out and they just chopped it up and, and tossed it. So, um, Shitty. And, well, it's just... The orca boat, to me, is like the Millennium Falcon or the Back to the Future car or any of these classic vests. I mean, there's they're not just... They're not just a vehicle, they're an emblematic vehicle of mm -hmm. an incredible cinema experience. So the fact that the Orca was lost, the simple neglect is really incredible. Um, and no one's made one ever since. So I purchased a boat, um, a wooden boat that's very similar to Orca, that we were going to basically get ready to put in this television program. And so I brought it to Martha's Vineyard with Chris Crawford, the guy who actually built the original for... Uh, Joe Alves. And I said, Chris, I want to build this boat into the Orca. We're going to need it for this TV show. And he's like, sure, well, let's get it down there and I'll take a look. He knows more about boating than I will ever, you know, I mean, he's just, he's that he's been around boats his entire life. And so he knows them well enough to say, okay, you got the right boat. We're going to have to do this to it, that to it. So we were held up obviously by the virus. And I came up with this idea. Why don't we just restore the boat and make it its own thing and we are now engaged in a project called Return of the Orca. And we actually have an official announcement tomorrow that I can't really say what we're going to announce, but uh, it's going to be really special. And what we want to do with that boat is um, we want to turn into the Orca. And we want to make it available to people for educational purposes. We're going to have, um, you know, uh, research institutes use it to learn about the shark problems in the area. So the Orca that we have, the Orca 3, we're going to call it the Orca 3, and it's going to be used to stage uh, expedition research for scientists so that we can actually change the orca's role from killing shark machine into research shark machine and educate people about, you know, the fact that the great whites are in the area. And if you want to be safe and you want to live in harmony with these, these creatures, there's some things you should know about them. Mm -hmm. For example, the, you know, not going at dawn or dusk out in the water and, and learning about their predatory behaviors against seals and 
where you're likely to find them in the ocean and, and all sorts of things. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of kids on Martha's Vineyard who who don't know any different and are, are Cape Cod. And you know, we really, we fear that another one is, another person is going to be killed by a great white because they just didn't know that they shouldn't have been in the water at this time or, or something. So, um, and of course we want people to enjoy the boat as, you know, it's on Martha's Vineyard, it's in Amity. The boat should remain on Martha's Vineyard and people who love the movie Jaws, if they want to come and see that boat, which hasn't been here for decades, uh, they should be able to come and see that boat and even take a ride and go out on the ocean and have five yellow barrels across the front and be out on the pulpit. Um, well, and, and you can see sharks. And yeah, and and to educate them on how important it is that we keep and maintain the shark population that we have because they are a huge part of our ecosystem in the water that actually has a lot to do with the ecosystem on the land and immediate beach areas. And so it's very, very important that we do protect and take care of, you know, the shark population for, for just keeping a healthy ecosystem. Excellent point. And uh, the thing that Jaws did um, when the film came out was it demonized sharks and a lot of people started getting into the habit of killing them. Because they felt that they were the enemy and that they were going to be these, you know, that they, it was the better thing was a, a only good shark was a dead shark. But what you said is absolutely true. Our ecosystem demands that there be a balance that sharks are a part of. And we do need to appreciate that they are, um, you know, that they're vital to uh, the ocean and that there needs to be a balance. But between overfishing of certain areas, shark killings, um, you know, because there's shark fin soup in certain countries, mm -hmm. and we've had to have certain things done uh, to try and get people out of the habit of doing that. Um, uh -huh. You know, we're we're it's a new world, and uh, we understand a lot more about the way the natural world works. So we want the Orca Three to help tell that story. We think because of what boat it represents, it can help actually spread the word a lot more than just any other kind of boat. You know, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I I commend you immensely for for taking the time and energy to put that in there to help educate um, us, the dumb human race. I, I still, I think that as a human race, we are, are ignorant to our own plight and we do a lot of really dumb things and and a lot of it's fear-based. So I double kudos to you for doing something to try and help educate us onto a better, a better way of our future. That's Thank awesome. You. I appreciate that. And I think that, um, you know, I, I feel that there's a certain amount of when you shed a little light on something, people are willing to give it a benefit of the doubt to realize they don't know everything and that their assumptions sometimes are incorrect. And what? that we're just trying to get people to be, you know, like, hey, hey, I didn't realize sharks were that important to the ecosystem. Yeah, you know, just sort of simple things that people can appreciate. And, uh, and, and you know, if, if, if it's because they're a Jaws fan and they bring their kids on the boat and their kids actually learn something about sharks because they're too young to really know Jaws, then I think we're accomplishing the mission. We're helping oh, yeah. spread the word. Dad gets to go on the boat that he loves and pretend he's Captain Quint. <laughs> yeah, right. kids get to learn about sharks. <laughs> Everybody wins. It's when you see the whites of his eyes. And <laughs> you go on the bad hat, Harry. <laughs> You're kind of giving everyone the, the fans, though, the best of both worlds as far as the two main boats in that that movie because you said you're turning the orca three into a research boat it just kind of like the research boat that they go on out at night when they find uh the the fishermen 
under the water, which is still one of the the scariest parts to me. It makes me jump every time when they're diving down there, and you the the dude just pops out in that hole that the the bite hole. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give you an anecdote about that. Um, some people have learned this in in uh, it's kind of old Jaws lore, but um, you know that head popping out shot was actually done in the editor's pool in Los Angeles. Oh wow! They picked that up. Spielberg was at a screening in Dallas, Texas, of Jaws, and he realized that he he thought he could get one more good scare. So he said, "I want to do this thing," and Universal Studios said. We're not paying for any more Jaws. You've already gone way over. So Spielberg said, okay. He spent $3,000 of his own money. He got the crew together. And the editor, Verna Fields, had this pool. And her editing system uh, was in the pool house. And so she said, come on to my pool. We can shoot the head scene and that. So Joe Alves built a little section of the Orca's Hall. Little, you know, just built, constructed enough of it to be in the shot. And they stole the head from the studio, the head that they used to drop into that boat. And, uh, and, and, and they put milk in the pool to cloudy it up to make it feel more natural, more ocean-like. There's that milk so, thing again, Chad. I'm telling you, man. That's what they told you they were doing. What they were doing is they were like, we don't really want any sharks around here. Dump milk in the water. It's a natural repellent. We're not taking any chances. They might have had a Sharknado, and it dropped <laughs> yeah. a shark in the pool when they were eating the scene, so the milk would keep that from happening. That's right. That's the, <laughs> they had someone like me on set that was like, nah, I can't even do pools anymore, thanks. <laughs> and they're like, look, we'll fill we'll fill it with milk. And, All right, I'll get in. <laughs> Nothing more treacherous than the land shark that walks from pool to pool to attack its victims, huh? Exactly, absolutely. You never know, man. So the, the cool part about that story is that Spielberg got that shot and they put it in the film and then the next screening they did in California, that scene happened. Everybody levitated out of their seats with the fright and one guy ran right by Spielberg into the lobby and threw up on the carpet near the concession stand. Nice. So he's like, okay, that was worth the $3,000 to get that shot. <laughs> and he went up to the studio exec. He's like, in your fucking face. Right. It, was, it was actually, it was at that screening that they realized they had a hit on their hands. And all the studio execs with Spielberg got together in the restroom of the theater and said, we've got to go as wide a release as we can with this movie when it comes out. And they made the decision to put it out in over 400 theaters, which was then not a thing that studios did. They usually seeded stuff out slowly and let it gather a following. But Universal said, no, we feel like we've got something that's really special. So in the men's room of that theater, they decided we're going to go ahead and roll this thing out as widely as possible. And they also spent all this movie. You might remember um, there was a ton of TV done for Jaws. They actually did this uh, TV campaign and commercials weren't things that movies did at the time they usually just ran trailers at other movies you know did a mm -hmm. you watch trailers uh, when you went to go see a movie and it started the first 10 15 minutes but jaws had a huge television campaign designed yeah. for it and they spent a ton of money on that marketing and that summer into that fall was the the period of jaws you know it was the blockbuster because literally lines wrapped around the block to be able to watch that movie and people yeah. stood in line for three screenings sometimes, four, six hours, just to get in to see Jaws. And then they'd come back. I mean, Jaws had one of the most highly, uh, the most amount of frequently, like, repeat viewings. 
you know, people would just uh, go back time and time again. They would just daily go, like every weekend, they go see Jaws again. So um, it's just incredible how that kind of just materialized that way with all the things that happened with that movie and the production. Some of the best deals in, in business and history have been done in the men's room. So, you know. <laughs> in, uh, in your doc... A lot of awesome business in the men's room. <laughs> in your um, docudrama, do you tell the story or relate in there to the story that he's actually telling? Because it's a true story about a naval ship that crashed and all the men that are that got attacked by the sharks. When he's giving that that uh, on the orca that scary monologue before that final Jaws attack and everything. Mm -hmm. um that's that's actually a true story that really happened about a naval ship um yeah you're referring to the indianapolis um mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely it was the yeah the the ship that delivered the atomic bomb uh for the naval operation that was then going to deliver it to the enola gay that's um, yeah um so yeah there was actually a movie done about the indianapolis it starred nicholas cage Mm -hmm. And um, what I don't movie know doesn't? How well it was received, but it definitely covers the fact that these guys, you know, like about seventy-five percent of the crew that went in the water was killed by the sharks, and the mm -hmm. rest were pulled out days later. Um, but yeah, that's a terrifying story. It was really, you know, that that's sort of um, it. Everything you need to know about Quint is in that monologue. Another reason not to be a seaman. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that that actual real life is a scary story. It's a very astute observation, Kyle. <laughs> I'll be here all night. I'll be here all night. Yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, my biggest fear as a kid, you know, it's funny because I was in the movie, I saw the sharks, I didn't, you know, it didn't really scare me because I sort of saw the fakeness of it all. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have been like, You must have like been so terrified. And I was like, well, I saw the movie and it was scary. But then I realized I saw my neighbors in it. I saw the sharks used that we saw really there in the. You did not get scared when when the blood was everywhere and everything that whole thing was going on. You're like, that shit is fucking fake. Yeah, you, you, you're so. Oh, dude, you were fucking scared. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not the fourth time, but the first time you were like, the fuck. It was, I. I I will I, admit, I will admit. You're a cool dude, man, but I can, you are not that collective. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing. When, when, they, when they popped him up in the water, the kid Jeffrey, and they sucked mm -hmm. him down and the blood bag kind of burst, that was a real violent thing to watch, you know? Like, sure. There were divers under him, and they basically just sort of pushed him up and sucked him back down in the water in time with the blood burst that you see in the shot. And that was really scary to me because it did look real. You know, that mm -hmm. looked really yeah. <laughs> So, I Yeah, I could see where you would lose some of being behind the scenes and seeing Bruce out of water and knowing that it was fake. I could see where that would bring that level down of, of believability and, and fear factor in it. Yeah, you kind of, you, it's sort of like seeing the way sausage is made or something. You're just like, okay, it changes your experience about, you know, having it. Sure. Um, um, but yeah, seeing the movie, the movie definitely, I remember the night that I saw it in Oak Bluffs at the theater, the premiere for the locals, and it was definitely scarier than I was expecting. So uh, in many ways, that did terrify me. 
And, and it was such an accident, or not an accident, but it was so surprising considering what everybody was hearing about how poorly the film was being made. That's what our impression was, um, that it must be going poorly because they're still here and they were supposed to leave, you know, whatever time. So um, I think that that was, that was a real shock because everybody was expecting a dud and they just kind of went to the screening to go see their friends and neighbors in the island. That <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that would be cool to go and watch a movie and, and be like, Hey, I know that. Hey, that's my neighbor. Hey, look over there. That's my mailman, you know, and, and be able to see it, uh, uh, your own town in a movie. That would be, that would be kind of special. Yeah. There's, there's, um, people who live in places like, you know, in Rhode Island, for example, the Farrelly brothers, you know, the guys who did me, myself and Irene and something about Mary. And, um, I've spent some time in Rhode Island and all the places they love to shoot in Rhode Island to sort of show all the places that they grew up. Mm -hmm. Farrelly brothers did. So it's cool, you know, and there's a, a whole bunch of people. I mean, Martha's Vineyard still looks very much like what it did when Jaws was shot there and people take tours there. And if you want to go and see, uh, you know, Chief Brody's police station or the bridge or the Menemsha village where Quint Shack was, uh, I mean, the shack isn't there any longer. It was taken down as soon as they were done with shooting the scenes in it. But sure. it looks virtually identical. And because Martha's Vineyard isn't, they don't really develop and change and build up uh, and go modern. Um, right, right really you know very identical to it so in many ways when making the monster begins production on martha's vineyard we'll have basically what looks like amity island and the way vineyard looked the vineyard looked at that time and that's a really great thing because in many ways we don't have to create things that aren't there they're already there um we'll have to do the cars we got to find old vw bugs and you know pickup trucks from the time and, and we've got to do the clothing and the set dressing but the reality is, is that, you know, a lot of this stuff is just there and ready to use. Um, we How awesome is that? That's great. That, that's awesome. You can go back, you know, 40 years later and virtually it looks so similar. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really a happy accident that, you know, and and so um, I think people will love seeing the vineyard uh, the way it looked back in the 70s. But because, you know, again, we don't have to change much. So, yeah, it's a really, it's, it's a great situation for our project in particular. So was uh, Martha's Vineyard as excited when that movie stuck on you was filmed there as Jaws? I mean, it yeah, is well, even. Jaws 2 was filmed there, but not, Jaws 2 was shot um, mostly in Destin, Florida, where all those kids go out on their sailboats and get attacked by the sharks. Um, the, uh, but Jaws was definitely an exciting thing for the island, um, because of the money it brought in. Uh, but after, you know, after Jaws was made and the, the word got out where it was shot, now people started to show up. And then we had presidents, you know, the Clintons started to come to the vineyard and then Obama came like now the place is, you know, if you want to get a house on the vineyard in July or August to like hold you and three other friends, you'll probably spend $5,000 on a week. Oh, yeah. um, and back in the 70s, it was, I mean, obviously adjusting for, for inflation, it's mm. a lot less. But even then, it was like not that expensive. Um, and now, you know, you it, it's just a really exclusive place and very hard to find anything that's reasonably priced. 
So the island has definitely grown. And, and for a long time, I remember they didn't really embrace Jaws in the 80s. It wasn't something that they kind of, they thought it was a footnote. Now you go and all the shirts are being sold in the gift shops. And there are people doing Jaws tours on buses and saying, taking you to all the locations. And it's, it's, you know, and they did Jaws Fest, which was in 2005. They brought all these people, the Joe Alves and, and uh, Susan Back, Linney, and anybody who was alive who could come out to basically be part of this festival. And everybody turned up. And then they did it again in 2012. And then that was the last one they did. But I think they're going to do one for, they were going to do for the 45th something. And uh, that got canceled because of the virus. But for the 50th, when it turns 50 in five years, I'm expecting whoever is still alive from the production will come to the vineyard and sort of like, you know, this is it. Jaws is 50. This is a milestone. You know, that'll Spielberg back. Yeah, that'll be huge. That would be cool to have. I mean, that'd be cool to have as many people as they could, but it would be cool to have him come back. And, I mean, 50, you know, that's a landmark of such an iconic, you know, suspense thriller movie. Like, how could you not want to go back and talk about it? I don't know many films that are 45 plus years old that still have the kind of like cultural relevance and, and, and loyalty. I mean, there are, sure, there are certainly films, Star Wars, um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, there are people who have gone with the wind, The Wizard of Oz, you know, I think that, but by and large, the, the you know, one thing I've gotten to know over this, these few years is the passion for Jaws, like in the online communities, um, you know, we work with the, we're partners now with the Daily Jaws for our project Return of the Orca. And the Daily Jaws is basically a British outfit, but England has a huge Jaws loyalty. And they love Jaws just as much as any Americans do. Um, and they, their online community is in the millions of people who basically subscribe to their Twitter feed. So I can't think of many films besides some of the classic 80s films like Star Wars and others that are, 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 have such a fan following that is, uh, you know, timeless. Um, and, uh, and today, you might be seeing the memes on the internet about how the virus and the, the, the interest in opening up the country is like the mayor in Jaws. You know, he wants to keep the beaches <laughs> open. Yeah. The fact there's a shark killing people. And so now people are equating what's going on in this country with the virus and the people wanting to open up the country, yet the, the numbers are going up and people are, you know, having to basically shut down again. Um, so there's weird ways that Jaws kind of just creeps back into consciousness culturally. And now we have great white sharks all over the, the area around Martha's Vineyard. It's like I talked about it with Joe Alves. He's like, the universe is trying to say Jaws should never go away. <laughs> <laughs> it's a staple. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 you know it's it's apple pie and jaws. <laughs> so, I think it's great, and I, I think that you know it is a film. To me, it's funny somebody was saying it's not a horror film, and I agree. I think it's a lot of films. It's it's an adventure story. You know, I mean, it's it, it's a story about a, an older guy coming of age, like he's afraid of the water. Chief Brody's afraid of the water, and. He learns to tame that fear, and he grows as a character. You know, he's he has to look out for people. So it's it's. I think it's really interesting about. Um, Are we interrupting yeah, you, Chad? <laughs> no. Was that one of those cow things you turn upside down and it moves? It sounded like that. No, it's it's a <laughs> it's my ringtone. It's a Wookie cry. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, 
Yeah, it's funny. Star Wars came out two years after Jaws, and it showed in that same movie theater. And that's kind of like going from Jaws to Star Wars back in the 70s. That was the reason I got into entertainment in the first place. Because, I mean, that was the heyday, you know. And then there was Raiders of the Lost well, Ark and Alien. And oh, it was just a, Jaws a, a great and period in ja cinema. Jaws and Star Wars will always be linked because people think that Star Wars created the summer blockbuster, but Jaws was the very first summer blockbuster. And um, that kind of made Star Wars, you know, jump on that train. And then Star Wars went, not only are we going to be the summer blockbuster, we're going to do toys and all kinds of promotions. And basically he took that idea from what Spielberg was doing with Jaws. So very cool stuff. Absolutely. And I think it Jaws primed audiences to go to movies in the summer, you know, and, and traditionally before 75, the summer was not a period of time that you kind of thought about releasing these big films. It was a period where you kind of like people were going to be on vacation. They didn't want to go to the theater. They were going to be doing outdoor stuff. So you kind of threw summer films something, you know, not the big popular stuff. It was in the winter when you released The Godfather or you know, mm -hmm. Rosemary's Baby or any of these huge cinema classics. But Jaws landed on the map as, yes, you can get a huge following and have blockbuster films in the summer and people will go. And so Star Wars said they released in May, you know, and they, they took over that summer. And now, do, do you think that the fuel crisis of the mid-70s um, placated or had a lot to do with leading up to that uh, that you know, summer movie hit because like you were saying, everybody back then piled in the, the wagon and took the family, you know, to Wally world or wherever they were going. And, and then we had that big fuel crisis and a lot of, a lot of people didn't do the long-term, you know, driving and that. Do you think that that had a lot to play onto the summer movie? I, I think it certainly influenced things in terms of the fact that you weren't going to be taking long distance vacations necessarily, but you were going to entertain your family where you could near a home. And, mm -hmm. you know, because of Jaws's wide release, most people were able to get to a theater to see Jaws, you know. Sure. Um, but I also think that there was other factors like Vietnam War was ending around the time that Jaws was coming out and people were so fatigued by you know what they were going through with watching the vietnam war on television every night that they you know it was a welcome distraction you know it was a it was something that people could feel excited about and not so downtrodden they were just coming off of chappaquiddick out of watergate out of all these sort of you know we had this tumultuous period from 1968 through the early 70s that was completely you know it's it was scary you know i, I talked to my dad about the fact that it was like People thought this country was going to fold at, for a while in that time. Um, so for it to actually, you know, even out and the, the war to end and people to start living their lives and not feeling so uh, vulnerable. And then movies are just like inspiring them. I thought it was the perfect timing of seeing a society kind of get a little bit of like, hey, things aren't so bad, you know, and wow, movies are cool. And because and movies before that, there was, you know, they were doing musicals and the, you know, the disaster movie was big at the time, you know, Airport 75 and The Towering Inferno and, and all these movies that were like the drama was around like, you know, something massive having a problem and, you know, the Poseidon adventure, stuff like that. But they hadn't made these intimate character dramas like Jaws, you know, they, they created 
these big spectacle pictures where you hired 30 of the most popular actors in Hollywood to be in an ensemble cast. Jaws had three. You know, they, they really put it, made it more intimate and it connected with a lot more people. I don't know that there's three million Twitter followers of the towering Inferno. <laughs> Probably not. No, no. So. No, you're right. There, there's not. It's it definitely was a movie and an idea that uh, changed everything. So very cool. Well, um, we so. don't want to keep you much longer, Dave, because I know it's it's late there on the East Coast. Uh, do you want to go ahead and tell our listeners where they can uh, find your stuff, support you, uh, get on board with your your program and cause? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, our project tomorrow launches um, officially, and you'll learn everything you need to know about it then. Um, but if you go on over to returntotheorca.com, uh, you can uh, basically get plugged into what we're doing. There's a newsletter that you can sign up for there. Um, we also have, we're on Instagram and Facebook uh, and Twitter. So if you just look up, um, you know, Making the Monster or Return of the Orca on either of those, and if you just go to thedailyjaws.com, they're also um, sponsoring and showing a lot of this related content that you can link to. So uh, just uh, go ahead and check it out. There you go, returntotheorca.com. And uh, that's our logos beneath that sort of show you our joint partnership, which mm -hmm. was just announced. Uh, and we're going to build that boat. That's the whole idea. And so we're really excited about that. And we know you, need all you need to give us updates. You need to come back and give us like updates. This nah. is what on with the return of the orca. Like, I'm excited. That's cool. Thank yeah. We're, we're definitely. It's catch me in a month. It'll be a whole other story in a month. <laughs> I'll bet. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, all right. Well, I want to thank you for joining us tonight, David. I think we all learned so much about about Jaws and behind the stuff, scene stuff and things we probably didn't know. I mean, I, I, I learned milk and how it affects great white sharks. Yeah, <laughs> you and me both. That's I, awesome. learned, I learned why they change chain mail, why sharks and milk, and that the best business deals are done in the men's room. So, you know, what what more do you need, right? Exactly. These these are the lessons in life you need most than more than others. So. We we try and make the uh, absolute geek an educational program. Yeah, try keyword try education once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. It was a great talk and, uh, you know, real fun. So thanks again. A pleasure yeah, of ours. Thank you. If you want to come back and update us on, on Orca, please do. It'll be awesome. Yeah. Great. No, yeah, let's do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Guys, if you are into uh, this project and Jaws, make sure to check out returntheorca.com and uh, support Dave in, in his mission to, to get that research boat rebuilt and uh, get the orca back out where it belongs in Martha's Vineyard. Looking so, at sharks. Yeah, looking Thank at sharks. All right. You have a good night, sir. All right. Thank you, you too. very much. Thank Take you. Take care, gents. <laughs> <laughs> don't go in the water. Stay out of the water, Chad. I don't go in the water and I have oh, actually been what? in the Pacific and the Atlantic in the same week. And... Angle deep, baby. That's, that's my I limit. Even, I don't even get that deep. That's way too deep for me. Angle I don't even let that nasty fucking shark water even touch me. <laughs> you got to watch out. Kyle will push you and run. That's right. <laughs> it's been known to happen. Ask Nubia. <laughs>
Uh, <laughs> uh, I gotta grab something to drink real quick. I'll be right back. All I know is that if I was five years old and I told my parents, hey, I'm gonna go sneak around and do a bunch of shit in Phoenix, they would have said, the fuck you are. Yeah, no, it's cool. I'm five. <laughs> Martha Vineyard, Martha's Vineyard is a different place, man. I guess, man. He was like, hey, hey, mom, can I go sneak around and watch Jaws? Back then, it was a different world, man. Yeah, it's the 70s. Dude, old, no. It wasn't that different. Americana. Yeah, it was. They did not say, you know what? You're five years old. You're a man. Go ahead and sneak around and go ahead and hitchhike to the fucking. They used to tell little kids, go out and play in the forest and don't come home till it's dark. Not at five. Yes, they did. Fucking A. I bet you, I guarantee that that that's that people used to do that. I was five when I saw my first boob in the 70s. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't even born in the 70s. I was about to say, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm glad that he's all nonchalant. It's like, yeah, when I was five, we would sneak out and go across town. And what? You motherfucker, you're <laughs> motherfucker. What are you talking about? So uh, I got something I, I want to ask Matt. I don't know if Matt knows about this. Matt, have you ever heard of these? Yeah. So, berserker? Yeah. Yeah, the Berserker. For people that don't know, tell them about the Berserker. It's a it's a weed strand that Kevin Smith in uh, Caviar Gold corp- uh, came together on, and uh, it was to help promote Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And they're actually selling it as uh, pre rolls, and you can get them in eighths and and all kinds of stuff like that. It's uh, so th- there's the a- Berserker is the the supposedly it's the um, it's the blend, right? It's the I can't remember yeah, what the one to one, yeah ratio stuff so it's basically super super stony yeah and there's supposedly a challenge with this oh i didn't know the challenge yeah that like uh it's hard to finish this all the way that type of challenge let's do it let's see if let's see if brian can do it and get kevin and we'll send this clip to kevin and we'll try to get him on the show well that's exactly what we're doing but not here tonight i apologize brother Uh, it's uh me and keith and and a buddy who brought these to us he said he came to me and said, "Yeah, I don't think you guys can finish this." And I said, uh, "Yeah, you want to put put a little wager on it?" So we're all going to go on the show and finish, try and see if we can finish these. But I, I remember hearing something Matt talking about it, so I wanted to bring it up. Why the fuck does Chad have a Tales from the Flipside logo as his streamyard? Because he's using he's using the login from the Flipside streamyard. He, he's he's probably lost. Yeah. No, Chad's Chad's part of the uh, Star Wars show that's coming I know, out. I know. It's planned. So, uh, I I'm I'm not part of that. That's uh, that's his thing. So, you know, always fun to talk Star Wars with Chad. I don't know, man. I think I think you need to see if you can solo that that bad boy. I think I think you and two other friends doing it is is taking a punk way out. I think you need to see if you could solo it. No, no, we're we we've got three of them. We're oh, all okay. gonna smoke one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Let's see no, if you no, can no, solo no. it. Yeah, fuck yeah. No, there's no I, puff, I, there's no I, puff I, puff I, pass. That, that, that's that's a solo. Blunts, I smoke three blunts an episode. I don't think one joint's gonna phase me much. So, I think you should actually try it here. And when you go to on Sunday, you'd be like, "Sorry guys, I was triple dog dared. I had to." 
No. Those are they're like man. 35 bucks a pre-roll too. They're expensive. Mm. So yeah, yeah. Kevin just got to make that fucking squeezeage. Yep. Well, that and Caviar Gold has the reputation of being top-notch, top-shelf stuff, so. There you go. I just I just want to see if Brian can do it. Let's see you know, if he can do it on his own. I'll be honest, halfway through that, he kept saying the orca, and I was like, what the fuck is an orca? It's a whale. It's a killer whale. Well, I, and then I got all the way to the end, and I was like, oh, he's talking about a boat. Yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> no have you ever idea. seen the movie Jaws? Yes, but no, not really. Like it's Yes, but no, not really, huh? <laughs> I've seen it, but like... You can things. tell you you're getting you're getting you're feeling pretty good right now with your drinks, huh? Because <laughs> you could tell halfway through the interview you were listening, 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 and then you could tell the point where you're starting to feel good because that's when you decided to call him out. You decided to call his bluff to his face about being five years old going around the the Martha's Vineyard. I couldn't let it go, man. I, <laughs> I kept thinking about it, and like I was just like, "What do you mean?" Like your parents were like. All right, dude, go ahead and go to the beach and find by yourself later. Like, even in the 70s, you didn't say, like, go to the beach by yourself, brah. That didn't happen. That's not real. I don't know, man. I did a lot of stuff in the 70s and 80s that today you would not believe ever happened. Jesus, what were you like? What you were like? Yeah, how old were you in the seventies? Had to pretend like seventy-six. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're trying to tell me that you guys both, Kyle, you grew up in Arizona, right? Yes. Okay. So you're trying to tell me as a young kid, Kyle just put his own wife in timeout. As a young kid, you didn't go out into the middle of the desert. And, and and fuck around in the middle of the Arizona desert. I remember being six, seven years old and, and bringing home rattlesnakes. No, so, I did not go to the desert at five years old. I lived next to Metro Center. I did okay. not go to the desert at five. Okay. All right. Well, I did. I remember going to the desert. My mom quit working. My mom quit working because me and my brother brought home a, 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 a rattlesnake. Sure, little Brian. You and Chris can go play in the desert. Yep. Thanks, Mom. No, they didn't let us. They didn't let us. <laughs> I, I was a latchkey kid. I was a latchkey kid. I would wait for my brother to get out of kindergarten, and I would t- take him home with us. And then we would drop our book bags, get on our bikes with our two buddies, and we would go out in the desert and fuck around in the desert. We'd make jumps. We'd, we'd, we'd find rattlesnakes. We would, uh, you know, shoot. What? Five years old. My brother was five. I was six and seven. Or no, sorry. I was seven and eight. So my brother was like five or four. You went across town. Well, I lived at 51st Avenue in Bell. And at that time, the desert. So you walked across the street. Well, I walked like, uh, I would say about a mile. We rode our bikes about a mile. Back then, it wasn't it wasn't like today. Back then, it was very very different. Fuck, no parent lets their five year old fucking just fucking kick rocks and fucking go fuck around, dude. No, that doesn't happen. I grew up and spent my summers on a farm in Chapel, Nebraska. We owned six acres. One or sorry, six sections. One section is like two hundred and forty eight acres. 
I had to walk almost five miles to get off our property. My grandpa and grandma were like, if you're in the field, pick up rocks because they're tearing up our discs. Go out. Go walk as far as you can and come back with a pocket full of rocks. That's, I mean, I grew up, you know, playing with arc welders with my uncle, learning how to arc weld at seven and eight years old. Um, well, you know, you guys it was a different world, world, man. It was. It was a different time, different things. I guarantee were, I told my parents, hey, I'm going to go walk to Metro Center at five years old. They were going to go like, right on, Kyle. Peace. Yeah, but you weren't born in you. When you were born in the eighties, weren't you? Yeah, different time. Fort Collins, Colorado. First time I ever saw Metallica, Master of Puppets. They were at Rocky Mountain Capes and Records downtown, and I was outside, and I I couldn't have been more than what seven, eight years old. Look, in the seventies, Chad used to walk five miles to school uphill both ways collecting it's rocks so. to come home and get a butterscotch from his grandpa for every rocks he collected you know that's right actually i got a butterscotch and a squirt that's where my addiction to squirt first started was was Woo. with my grandparents because they kept it in the liquor cabinet because that's what they mixed their drinks with <laughs> so when i wanted a soda i got i got a squirt and that's that's all they had or a schweppes, schweppes i don't want to fucking see you till eight o'clock tonight get the fuck out of here and if he was a good if he was an extra special boy he got to go for a, a nice malt at the malt at the malt shop a malt no i i also got um yes yes i also you did. got you did a, a lot of cool stuff to learn too. You know, I, I was driving by the time that I was 10, I was driving grain trucks and tractors and three riding three wheelers. I rode a three. I grew up with my pops and his friends and my uncle and stuff. And at seven and eight, yes, I was driving back to camp because they were hunting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I get that, but like I never said, Hey ma, I'm gonna go pick up some chicks at fucking Metro. I'll be back. Peace. Yeah, but you lived in a you lived in an, a metropolitan city like Phoenix. You didn't grow up so did in Brian. the Midwest. Like that's that's what I did at five and six years old, running around the woods, snowmobiling, playing with knives, hunting with my dad. That's the kind of stuff you did in the, in in the small town. And I I didn't come home till the streetlights were on. You know, you tell your parents I'm going to the movie I'm theater. Five years old. You were fucking gone. Do no, not like it. not hitchhiking, not that to that extent. No, you were just gone. Like, like your dad was like, "Matt, you're five. Get the fuck out of here. I don't want to see these people. <laughs> Get the fuck. You're home from preschool, motherfucker. It is one p.m. I will see you at seven. I don't want to fucking see you in this yard. And you were just out, just doing no, you but wanted. like so. My backyard was we had a backyard and it was a, a little chicken wire fence and then beyond it was woods and there was like a junk pile back there from an old barn that had fallen down and stuff like that i would go out of the backyard and play in the woods back there and they didn't have a problem with it you gotta remember that was the time when the you come home when the street lights are on you know you you knew where your friends were because everybody's bike was outside you know it was the 70s were a very different time and then you they didn't know about stranger yes, danger then how much so so in 70 what is when you used to go out to the woods? No, I I'm not in the 70s. I'm saying but as a kid I did cuz I grew up I grew up in a small town where everybody knew everyone. So it was it's different than growing up in Phoenix. 
Yeah. I couldn't get in trouble you, that time. You were a sheltered. You were a sheltered child, Kyle. Your I parents were so. like, "We have to watch what? this one. He's going to create all kinds of trouble you know and ruckus, and we're going to get the shit suit out of us." <laughs> Mom and Dad, I appreciate you not letting me fucking wander around the streets and go to Metro Center at five years old. Thank you for paying attention to me. Thank you for just having a little bit of fucking. You know what? I think he might need you just to stay in the backyard. He's fucking five. Thank you. Thank you. I think I'm a better person because of it. Thank you, Mom and Dad. I, I think you missed out on a lot of childhood. I think I so, too. Think I missed out on the goddamn thing. <laughs> I mean, that dude, that dude was hitchhiking to the beach at five, got to be in Jaws at five. I think he had dude, a pretty kick-ass life at five. told his parents, hey, I'm five. I'm going to go sneak around the jaw set. See you later, Ma. And Ma's like, have fun, buddy. Well, my guess is that his parents were probably close by. His parents were probably on the set as well and out in there. And My kids were five. The last thing that they would be at by themselves is fucking water. Well, I will say this. I will say this. If David, if you're still watching, we we do love you. We want you yeah. back on the show. We do. I'm <laughs> I'm just messing around, and I I personally just can't wrap my head around it. Being a parent, first off, being a parent. <laughs> it's it's three in support thing. of you, one against you. So you know, just I'm just so you know, we. St- I just can't. I just can't wrap my head around like. Hey, you're five. I don't give a fuck if you're five miles away. Like, that is mind blowing at any age. Well, well I hope you guys enjoyed us having interviews on the show because Kyle just pretty much nixed that. <laughs> right. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm just not, kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. I personally can't wrap my head wrap my head around it. And I guarantee he did not let his kids go fucking trampsing around. So, uh, Daphne Keene, X-23, what's going on with that? <laughs> oh, whatever. Good segue. Great transition. <laughs> yes, good Sagu. Another- uh, I, have not, I have not heard... Sagu into another five-year-old running through the woods on her own, unsupervised. Yeah. I, I heard uh, just a snippet of that, and I have no details. Fill me in. What did we hear? What's the new news drop? When she was five... <laughs> <laughs> and Martha's she, Vineyard. She was in a lab up in Canada, and they were uh, adding adamantium to her. <laughs> she, that, that's why you don't wander away at five, kids. She yeah. basically uh, said in an interview that she would be totally open to coming and playing the character for the MCU. She should. So she's perfect. I think she should. Instead of bringing back Wolverine, have X twenty three do that role. Well, I think you bring back Wolverine, but Wolverine's too old. Or he doesn't want to do it anymore. You know, you play that role. Hugh Jackman's too too big of a fan favorite not to try and utilize somehow. You know? I think Zach has Well, how do you think it. that's going to pan out, though? I mean, they're going to have to find somebody new. Hugh Jackman's, I feel like, kind of done. You put some respect on his name. You put some respect on his name. Huge Jackman. All right? They, you put some respect on his name. They're going to have to recast. I mean. And they should go younger. It would be awesome. They, we've talked about this many times. It would be awesome to have. 
Harry Potter playing Wolverine. I mean, it would be awesome. <laughs> I can get Expelly Snick. Expelly Snickers. Shit, wrong movie. I'm drunk like I was on every party. Expelly Snick. That's great. Uh, it's I the Dementors. I mean, it's Magneto. I, I, <laughs> and I, I hate to say it again i hate to even bring it up but i think they have to go with possibly an unknown name actor i don't know that there's an actor out there that now wolverine is somebody that could go on their own at five i get it he was pretty sickly at five i mean hugh jackman as much as i didn't like him as wolverine i know a lot of people did and he really made that character pretty big to his name. So who do you who do you get in that role? Huge Jack man. Zach Efron. Taron Edgerton. No. <laughs> I think you get a nobody. I think you get not a nobody, but somebody that we don't really know much about. You know that Coral is, is the Walking Dead. Coral. <laughs> Coral. <laughs> I think he needs to be an older, a little bit more gruff actor, though. I don't think yeah, yeah. going younger is the way to go. And he's got to be Dude, short. You know what? I was just going to say, he should it? be short and a little thicker. Actor. Danzig. Glenn Danzig. Glenn Danzig's per- perfect, but he's already to that age where it wouldn't Dude, work. Dude, he's like 120 years old. Yeah, yeah. and he's, and no, he's, longer, he's no longer he's that ripped muscle-bound <laughs> guy man. he used to be. Movie magic. That dude thinks he, he keeps telling everybody he's a four thousand degree black belt and ten different types of karate, but he can't take a punch. So I don't think he's going to be playing Wolverine anytime That's soon. John By the way, Glenn, if you would ever like to come on and do an interview, that would be really, oh, really awesome. We would out. love to have you. Um, no, we wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I would the love Loki stuff is interesting, though. I like the Loki, the Loki news. You know that it's gonna uh, take cues from uh, Thor Ragnarok, uh, which is interesting, uh, and it's gonna be seen more as like a sci-fi show. Well, did, did you see the speculation of the female Loki being on set? Yeah, they've been talking about that for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a great idea. Loki needs to be the character that changes from. A female to a young kid to back to Tom Huddleston, you know, he can change. So that's how the show should be. Didn't that book, that female Loki book, just hit last week, correct? Female Loki's been out for a while. Yeah, but the book just hit in the top 10 last yes, week, if yeah. I remember correctly, because yeah. of the, the on, on scene um, snippets or, or whatnot that got leaked. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was interesting. It caused that uh, that movie variant with Tom Hiddleston on the cover to sell for a shit ton. Right. Uh, it sucks. I'd like to get that cover, but now I'm going to have to wait. The bad yeah. thing, too, though, is that uh, with all the Disney Plus stuff, they kept saying that uh, Falcon Winter Soldier was still going to be on schedule, and it was not on the report for August release, so it's getting pushed. So if you were looking forward to Falcon Winter Soldier, you're going to have to wait longer. I was not. 
I was. Hurry up and wait. Like a, like a bad drug deal in the early 90s. You're going to have to sit and hurry but up you got, and wait. I, we got shows to Titus over coming out. You got um, season two of both Umbrella Academy and The Boys coming yep. in the next couple of weeks. So. Yep. Dude, I can't even remember the last time I turned on Disney+. Plus. I need to cancel my subscription. I get every time my phone dings. I did. I, I did last weekend to watch Disney more money to watch Hamilton. Right. Now the the fact that you guys aren't watching Disney Plus is your own fault. There is a lot of great content on there. I have been watching Rebels again, and incredible content. Go back watch watch the Clone Wars. Watch that. That's great content. Um, but I mean. Check that stuff out, especially Rebels. There's a lot of stuff that you're going to see a lot more of here real soon, and it's all tying in with that Star Wars Rebels. And I, I highly recommend you watching Rebels. Star How's Wars the top Rebels. Just, Brian? <laughs> that was a terrible. That was the worst transition I've ever heard. Dude, I'm telling you right now, it's on par of every transition you've ever done. So. No, sir, that's an incorrect <laughs> statement. No, sir, that is an incorrect statement. Everybody rewind to the beginning of the show when we transition to our hey, guest. Yeah, because I was trying to transition to the guest while you guys were still talking about your goddamn car. All right? No one, no one cares. Of old Volkswagen. Yeah. John. No, I didn't say anything about old Volkswagen. I said classics. Classics. All right. There are some there are some classic Volkswagen. But speaking of Star Wars spec, what was on the hot ten, Brian? <laughs> I like my transition better. <laughs> well, I, I, I before we get in the hot ten, I there was something that I definitely wanted to talk about, and that is that uh, that Rorschach book, book that's coming out. Um, Tom King. Uh, however you feel about Tom King, whatever, you know. I think he's a great writer. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, and I love that fucking cover, man. That cover well, is What awesome. else has he written? Remind me. I, I The name is so familiar, and I can't place what else he's done. Besides Batman? Is the, worst bat, run the worst Batman, Batman run in history of the DC Comics. Nobody's written a worst Batman than Tom King. Bah, 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 bah. You, you know? I thought it was – I think the way Tom King writes – Tom King did uh, Grayson. <laughs> he wrote the Grayson run. Yes, he did. He also wrote Vi Vision. Vision, yeah. Vision was good. But the way he this is the way he writes to me, it's like you're writing this like I don't know like this. It's eloquent. Even when he was writing Grayson, like the way he writes it, there's just something about his right. Even when he was writing Batman, like. Like, the way he was writing Batman, at one time, it was almost poetic. Like, to, to say that it was crap is crazy, because, like, you know, like, he was almost, like, he was writing a love story for a while, and it was, like, it was awesome. It was, like, the nerd version of Batman's love story. It was, like, it was awesome. Do you, I feel like he got, like, some something changed to what he was doing, because... That story start, was started great, but really fizzled. I mean, like like they changed what they wanted to do out of nowhere. The whole Catwoman stuff. I just, I mean, I just, I just remember talking about it week after week, going, "Holy shit!" The I just think it's because they, they 
kept telling him he's gonna bounce him off the book, so he had to finish up the storyline so they could bounce him off the book. But that was way later. Okay, so what's what's the premise of Rorschach? How are they gonna? How's he? What's he doing? Where's his? So it's set, it's set thirty-five years after the events of Watchmen. Um, but he's it's dead. Twelve issue. It's a twelve-issue maxi series uh, that will be published under DC's Black Label, um, aimed at mature readers, which is nice. Um, and you can see a plot synopsis for the book uh, alongside its cover. Let's see here. Here we go. Um, let's do this. Uh, it's been 35 years since Ozymandias was exposed for dropping a giant telepathic squid on New York City, killing thousands and ending the public's trust in heroes once and for all. The Minutemen are gone. Only their memory lives on, especially the infamy of Rorschach, who has become a cultural icon since Dr. Manhattan turned him to dust. Rorschach may have spoken truth, but he wasn't a hero. So what does it mean when Rorschach reappears as part of a pair of assassins trying to kill the first candidate to oppose President Robert Redford in decades? Follow one determined detective as he walks backward in time, uncovering the identities and motives of the would-be killers, taking him deep into a dark conspiracy of alien invasions, disgraced do-gooders, mystical visions, and yes, comic books. So it seems Dude, like they're taking, awesome. they're taking the premise of the HBO show and walking it backwards because Rorschach was a cult in the HBO show. They say that right here. It says so, uh, in the press release for the book, King said, quote, like the HBO Watchmen show and very much like the original 86 Watchmen, this is very political. It's an angry work. We're so angry all the time now. We have to do something with that anger. It's called Rorschach, not because of the character Rorschach, but because of what you see in the character tells you more about yourself than about them. Than what, them. what better... Who better than an ex-CIA agent to write about that kind of shit? You know, let him go. I, I always loved Rorschach, so I'm I'm always game for them to do anything with him. I think he's a fantabulous character that they've underdeveloped and not done as, nearly enough with. So as I'm, long as I'm they, excited. they do it that way, I'm on board. It sounds it sounds I badass, think, like Kyle King, said. But yeah, I think King writing twelve issues, I think it's going to be badass. I just, yeah, I'm just I agree. glad they're not bringing the actual Rorschach back. So, well, you never know. It might be some crazy uh, Doctor Manhattan thing. Doctor Manhattan can do anything, right? Yeah, but DC can't get Doctor Manhattan right. They keep screwing him up. Well, they're trying. You know, you've got it's people who look at Doctor Manhattan like he's, you know, him and Superman are the same dude. It's no way. He's way more powerful than Superman. It's just yeah. they don't do. They haven't done him right since. Like before, Watchmen wasn't very good. Some stories in it were all right, but others weren't very good. I just, I'm just skeptical of it. But the the synopsis sounds dope. As long as they're not bringing Rorschach back to life, and you're looking at his life and his legacy through a different pair of eyes, I'm all for that. No ways. It's yeah, Brian rolling blunts. Is it? The sorry about that. Yeah, that was my weed grinder. It might be yeah. time to get a new one. No, it's too I'm full of too full of Keith. <laughs> I'm just playing. He sprinkles that I, shit on maybe, his on his Captain Crunch in the morning. Yes, sir. Fuck sugar. Maybe you're unaware of this thing called hemp oil that you can rub on the inside of there and take away that squeak. <laughs> I got some. I got some fucking WD forty. I need WD forty for my chair. <laughs> That's another something I need to get. So I need. To get a nice new chair man a new gaming chair because fucking world of warcraft has got me locked in 
I told you not to dive down that damn rabbit hole, dude. It's going to suck you in. Say no to the rabbit hole of the Warcraft. No, I like it. I don't play it very much. I play maybe like one, a couple hours, a couple hours every couple days. So let me it's, ask you this: hard to get into to lead into the hot ten after this, but um. What do you think sure. the speculation of the Russo brothers wanting to do a Secret Wars movie and them saying that their Secret Wars movie would be way more badass than Endgame ever was? I think that, uh, that um, the Beyonders is a hot book for a reason and it's going to get even hotter. Because they, they said they want to do it and that they would make it the biggest crossover event in, in cinematic history and it would be... 10 times more badass than Endgame ever was. I think there's huge potential. That's a bold statement that I think that they can do. It's a bold statement that that's, they should have not said that yet. But Secret Wars is awesome. And it's something that can be epic, but that's a lot of, that, that it, that's giving us comic nerds a lot of expectation. And when you give us comic nerds a lot of expectation, you know what happens? You get crucified. We get mad, and when we get mad, we shit on you. Yeah. What they should have done is said, like, they should have waited. They should have fucking kept that under under lip, kept it under wrap, did what they know how to do, and then busted it out, like, right before the movie comes out. Well, and I wonder if they're not trying to build hype around it and in, in with their names just to um, just to actually get the studio on board. You know what yeah. I mean? If it, because nowadays it's getting to that point, especially with COVID and all the shutdown and everything. If you can't get the studio behind you, and so they pump it out into into the nerddom of the universe, and all the nerds go, "Man, that's what I want to see," and then they get behind they get behind you you know what i mean because there's actually a um a calling for it well and, i think i think when the russo brothers come to you the guys you gotta remember did winter soldier captain america civil sure. war avengers infinity war Endgame. they come to you and like look we want to make another major crossover event in comic book history and secret wars and we have an idea to make it way more badass than Endgame ever was. Mm -hmm. Disney's going to be like, take this check and go. Tell me yeah. more. Yeah. We're all ears. Tell me more. They're all going to put on their Mickey ears and go, oh, tell me mm. more. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> How are they going to do that? Oh, tell me more. Yep. <laughs> they're all going to put on their Mickey ears and they're going to be fucking ready to hear. Ready to listen. Hey, hey kids. <laughs> but yeah I, I think you gotta pump it up I think you gotta put it out there and really say hey you know we're we are we've proven how good we are look at how good we our success already has been um get behind us and help us make this great you know and then and then you better deliver boy because like Kyle was saying you come out and you you get something wrong and they are going to slay you yeah, they should. And and what else are you going to do, though? I, literally at the shop um, Thursday 
uh, a, a gentleman came in and we were talking about this very subject. What else are you going to do to top end game? You've got, in my mind, you've got two choices. You've got, um, you know, Secret Wars. You have uh, AVX, Avengers versus X-Men. And I don't know that they're ready to, to jump on to an, an AVX story or... That would be so badass. It would be oh. badass, but I don't... Yeah, I don't see how that's going to fit in yet. I, I just don't think they have enough tie-ins. Well, if they, bring in the X-Men, if they bring in the X-Men, they could do AVX. They couldn't do it like it was in the comics with the Phoenix Force and all that shit. Sure. But they could do Avengers versus X-Men because the X-Men will be this new mutant class that everybody's worried about. And I think that would be a great way to bring in the X-Men into the MCU universe. Yeah. I, I think they have to have a little more... Um, they have to proceed it a little bit more. They have to to maybe warm up the audience a little bit more with the with the X Men. Now, I only say that because how bad Sony has done with the X Men. Everyone's very Fox? very leery. Or I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. Uh, Fox with their just absolute. Oh my God! Does and does anybody like those movies? Is as I I do. I like Age of Apocalypse. X, I like X Two uh, is the only one I like. I like um, um, Days of Future Past the most. I love First Class. Um, I don't like the ones with uh, with the old school one. I don't like the X Two or X. You know the first ones. I don't like those. You don't like X Two. X Two is like the best X Men movie ever made. No, I don't like any of them, man. See, just, for me, I'd rather. Now, I'm going to catch hell for this. Are you ready? This is going to drop like an atomic bomb. I would rather go watch Green Lantern than any of the X-Men movies. Damn. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I was very disappointed in all of them. I mean, X-1 gave you such great lines. Like, have you ever seen a light or a toad get struck by lightning? Or, you know, the the great line of what would you prefer yellow spandex you know yeah you got some great words there it's a pretty classic line <laughs> but i mean and they're there's don't get me wrong they they have good and bad in all of them and there's some great one-liners but i just was very disappointed from the get-go and uh days of future past wasn't too bad i can i can watch that one i love that uh, one but you look at like the, the apocalypse one, and, and they just and, fucked up with how apocalypse looked in in that one. They you, they you, did that shitty. You've got a supporter in your statement in Michael Stout, Chad. That's because not. Michael is a hip, hip, hip dude. Like that guy's <laughs> on point. He knows. He is smart. He is. He's a, he's a he's like a solid nine. In the universe right now, he's a solid nine. He's smart, good looking. He knows good movies, good content. That's why Michael is in there. I don't know. I the X, I, I still stand by the fact the X Men movies are good movies, but they're terrible X Men movies. They're not good X Men movies at all, but they're they're watchable movies. I mean, I don't. I don't. Uh, they're good X-Men movies, but they're not good comic-based X-Men movies. That's a very valid statement. Very, that, very valid. They're not bad X-Men movies. They're good movies. It's it's an X-Men movie, so they're good. They're just not 
you want more comic accuracy, and that's not what you get from the X Men movies. It's not what you, you get, get from movies. Period. It's not what you get from that. You don't get that from movies based out off of books, except for Clockwork Orange. It's like one of the very few books that the movie went like word for word. Well, Watchmen, Watchmen's movie pretty much went panel for panel until the end, where they changed the the squid for an yeah. atomic bomb. But fear and loathing in Las Vegas. That movie is almost word for word with the book. In fact, if you open the book, one of, um, wow, brain fart, it just left. Hunter S. Thompson, the picture of the guy standing on the side of the road in the Mickey Mouse shirt waiting for them to drive by when he's hitchhiking. McGuire, yeah. That picture looks exactly like it's the drawing in no, the book. It's amazing. Like, I'm sorry, no. say that again. I said there's there are some movies that do follow close, but not many. Yeah, very no, few. They're very Everything few. else is kind of like they took an idea and they made a movie about it. Sure, but, but I mean, look at, example that was way off. Look at all those Avengers and Iron Man and and you know all, all the that whole twenty two movie series, Thor's and all that. They're not exactly like the books, but they're still really good. They're really enjoyable. They take elements that we're used to and that we know, and and it's just like even like The Walking Dead. They did the, they do the same thing. They take meat and potatoes. They take things so that yep, that's from the comic, but they build something around it. It's, it all move, all of them do that. It's just how it, you can't fit you can't fit story arcs into a a two hour movie. It's just not real. Well, the Avengers stuff is still enjoyable, whereas I just feel like the X-Men's just really oh, dropped the ball. Comics, I didn't like Avengers. Good. Avengers was also a four-hour movie times two, right? So Kyle's right where it's hard to do a storyline in movies. That's why they need to do most of the shit like uh, like Marvel did with their you know, Netflix stuff. That That's why that stuff is so good. But then you get oh, an atrocity like Dark Phoenix the the last X Men Dark Phoenix movie that just came out that, that was just bad writing it was bad everything bad acting bad writing bad direction it was just terrible all the way around I like James McAvoy I think James McAvoy I think is great he's as, a great as Professor X but how cool would that be if they did like a Days of Future Past but they did it as a mini series then they could follow it yeah but they can't cram that they can't cram that and make it good in a two-hour movie. They're gonna have, no, and they have to make it in a way that any. When we've talked about this a million times, this is this is regurgitated bullshit. Christine brought up a great point. Lord of the Rings, crappy books. I can't read them. I've tried three, four times, five times to read those. I can't get through them. The movies, excellent. I think the opposite. I enjoyed the books, and the movies are long as fuck. And you're just like, fuck. You got yeah, it. Return of the Return the of the book, King, especially. Reading the books, man, I would burn through them, and like like the Hobbit, I would read it, and then I fucking started it from page one again. Yeah, like oh that. yeah, the Hobbit's a great book. The Lord what? of the Rings, I can't get through. The Hobbit, the, not the movie, the Hobbit sucks. <laughs> it was so terrible. But even the Lord of the Rings, the books are. Phenomenal! I loved reading the books when I was younger. I can't. And when I went to watch, like, I even went to the theater. I even dragged Nubia with me to the theater to watch these, and I was like, "Holy fuck, this is long and boring!" 
And I remember books just being like, I never wanted to put the book down as I was reading it. Yeah, I love the movies. I the books it's, just I long-winded and people that aren't into it who don't know about it. You have to capture them as well too. So you have to walk this fine line, and that's just what happens. Sure. Well, and everyone has their own opinion. I mean, everyone likes some stuff better than others. I mean, nothing's ever going to be um, Ben Affleck, Daredevil. We're never going to see that great. <laughs> <laughs> we can't even finish it without laughing. <laughs> hey, man, that movie's a guilty pleasure. I, I tried. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. <laughs> I mean, you got close enough in in Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider. Yeah, right? Yeah. But, I mean, how many times have you read a book and they went to see the movie and they're, I just don't like the book. It's just the way it is. Sure. Well, and I thought that they did okay with Harry Potter. I mean, they left out a lot of key stuff and and made the movies not anywhere as good, but they were okay. They were pretty good. Harry Potter movies were awesome, but the books are way better. Yeah, the books absolutely destroy it. And it's just, they did, you know, and it's the same thing. They did a lot of stuff different, but they did a lot of stuff the same. They, sure. They, you know what I mean? Same thing. They have this huge book and they've only got X amount of time to, to explain it. And they still got to keep, I like they still got to keep people who net and read the books <laughs> involved in it. And it's just yeah. the way, same thing with comic book movies. Yeah. But speaking like, of a limited yeah. amount of time to describe that stuff, um, How's that top ten? <laughs> nice transition. That's number. Th- that's the number three attempt to get to the hot ten today. <laughs> All right. Um, Chad just wants to see it because he hasn't watched it yet. And usually, when he's watching us, he flips over yeah. to watch the hot ten. Now he's, I actually now I do he's I do dual, dual screens. I use my iPad and my laptop, yeah, and I, can I, leave. I listen to you guys and I watch it on the side. You can't leave to go watch the hot ten. All right. Um. So the first Volkswagen, I would be fucking buying all of these fucking old covers like this in these old books so I had to shout out to Lucille because I'd be spending a fucking fortune on these old books well this is gonna blow you away this book right here right so um ghost comics number six um an 8.0 well let's put this one overstreet price guide has an 8.0 listed at 621 dollars that's how much they say an 8.0 raw you know whatever um and an 8.5 copy sold eight years ago for 1500 right uh it's got the bondage the horror the crypt creeper like dude the uh yeah all the stuff well an 8.0 copy which isn't even the highest on census sold this week for fifteen thousand six hundred dollars so over eight years you, if you would have bought an 8.0, you would have uh, 100% on on your thousand percent, right? So, uh, 15. So it went from 1500 to 15,000 in yeah. eight years. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So what what is going on with? Is he like trying to 
is he is he gonna shoot him and put some arm stink in his way like a skunk? <laughs> like what's he doing in the corner up there? That does not even it. it and he's like in a oh, he's in a grave. Is he in a yeah. grave? Yeah. Okay, okay. I see. Yeah. yeah. I'll get to with my arm stink. <laughs> uh, honorable mention number two is it eats what feeds it. Number one from Scout Comics. Uh, which is selling about double cover um, after release. And there's very few online, you know, Scout Comics is doing really good stuff and they put out small print runs with just really good stories. So shout out to Scout Comics and what they're doing over there. This is uh, one of those books. Have either of you guys read this? I'm really interested in reading it and I haven't read it yet. I have not. I have not read this. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm haven't been reading new issues and Many moons, unfortunately. Yeah, I need to start again. So busy. Yeah, you and I both. Uh, number 10, Faithless number two, the polybagged Tula Lote variant, which is basically porn. Uh, beyond porn, it is super, 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 super uh, erotic. So, um, much, so much so that they are ordering stores to destroy them. Wow. Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. I've been looking this, for this run, and I can't find any of them. It's hitting $20 plus um, right now, and if they're having to destroy it, it could be more. Because so, it just came out, right? Yeah, it just came out. Yeah, they Brian are. Brian Azzarello, yeah. uh, which is interesting. It's an Azzarello book. so That book is going to skyrocket. If you have one, hold it, because they are ordering stores to pull it and destroy it. Oh, wow. That's so stupid. Wow. Well, book censorship. This is really the, the time and era we live in again. Like, wow. Yeah. That's yep. sad. Yeah, number nine is Venom number four. Uh, this last week was a fifteen to thirty dollar raw book, and this week near mint copies are selling for forty to fifty. Um, that's not the A cover though. What? It's not the cover cover. That's a, that's a different cover to it. This is, as far as I know, it's the A cover. No way. Well, it doesn't say anything about variant on there. It's it, it is the A cover. It's zero four one one. So this is the A cover. I do not remember, Matt. You have issue four. That's not what I remember it being. There you go. So if you look at the cover box right here, you can see zero four one one. If it was a B cover or a variant, it would say zero four two one, zero four three one, that type of thing. Hmm. I'm gonna have to look now. Yeah. I'm calling shenanigans. No, I'm just playing. But, I just don't remember four looking like that. They're saying this is like the first full appearance of Null. Uh, he's on the cover also. So uh, if you're going all in on the Null stuff, this is one that you might want to think about. Sell my whole Venom run. Yeah. Yeah. So real uh, quick, we had a question today or this week from Tim, listener Tim, who's not in the chat tonight, by the way, um, regarding Null. And he asked us, and Brian might be able to tell us where. So I don't know the answer to this, but I know the question. You know the question: <laughs> the scorpion, yeah. the the scorpion spider on his chest. Mm-hmm. Let me look that up. Hard hitting facts. I got to find those out. Should have went to Grizzle Geek. What's What's the question? You got to finish the question. So the, leaving the audience yeah, hanging. The bro. question is. Um, where where does Null get the the scorpion Why spider? Why does Null have the spider symbol? symbol? The yeah. theory, which comes from a Twitter user, reads as follows: Essentially, when our Clintar boy got on Peter, copying the, uh, form, 
the former's general look. He unconsciously shaped the spider symbol to vaguely resemble Null's dragon-like symbol, and that's why it looks so different. Venom writer confirms origin of Venom's iconic white spider symbol. So, Donnie Cates confirmed one fan's theory about the secret origin of Venom's spider. The theory which comes from... Oh, wait. Uh, the user also provided images of Spider-Man in his original suit, Spider-Man's symbiote suit, Venom and Null, the god of the recently introduced spider... Uh, symbiotes, I mean. Um, he says, Hi, Donnie Cates. Can you please tell me if I got it right? Essentially... Comma, when our Clintar boy got on Peter, copying the former's general look, he unconsciously shaped the spider symbol to vaguely resemble Null's dragon-like symbol, and that's why it looks different. Did I get it right? And Donnie Cates said exactly yes. So there you go. Straight there you up, go. Straight don't from Donnie Cates' mouth. Don't get spiders on your Peter. Yep. I think that's Donnie Cates' uh, bullshit. Yeah, I agree. I think it's bullshit. Uh, <laughs> number 12 number eight this week is teen titans number 12 the first appearance of batman who laughs uh starting in 2020 around the uh, 9.8s we're going for around 300 i need to get that uh, then in april it rose to 350 and then in may it rose to 400 then in july it hit 500 and now they're selling for 550 and 9.8s so i have a 9.8 raw copy for sale there you go um number seven uh venom number 26 the way ben writes this is there's too many covers to list but the a cover is selling well in the 10 to 15 dollar range and the dumb wednesday variant is about the same five years from now i wonder if anyone will have any idea what that cover is referencing and he says for the record the venom number 25 second print could have been in this spot as well so so this is an interesting an interesting book and i was kind of have did any of you pick this book up and look at it no this character is gonna be i think is real interesting because he's he his appearance he shows up in the book riding a green goblin glider and throwing pumpkin bombs and what appears to be some repurposed war machine armor some repurposed what war machine armor oh yeah 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 yep yeah, I wonder if he's from like a di- is he from a different um like realm or, or no, quantum we, universe? We have no idea. Like that's he's still he's still kind of a, a mystery <laughs> character. But the interesting thing with this is we had that debate that his they were pitching his original first appearance and being the, the Spider Man Venom free comic book day book. And that book still hasn't come out. So then he yep. makes his first cameo in Venom twenty five. And then 26 is his first full and cover appearance. Yep. So does that, is that kind of, so anybody who's telling you, and I want to get Brian's opinion. So anyone that says that that Spider-Man free comic book day book is his true first appearance is inaccurate. Yeah, I agree. The true first appearance is, uh, in my opinion, this uh, issue 25, the second printing Greg Horn cover that he's on the cover mm-hmm. um, and he's in the book. So he's in the very one of the very last pages of the book, if I remember correctly. Um, but he's also on the cover, so that yeah. changes it from a cameo to a first appearance, in my opinion. If that's not the true first appearance, then this definitely is. Well, see, right? I, not, I would not go the comic book day one. I would go the other way. I would go twenty five as cameo, twenty six as full full appearance. But he's on the cover, even though it's a second printing. 
yeah, that look at the member when um they did the red goblin or whatever mm-hmm. and they had uh one of the store variants for that issue where he was the quote-unquote cameo has him on the cover that's considered his first appearance first full appearance because he's on the cover for that for that store variant so again market always decides the bottom line, you you can think one way all you want, but in, in, in all reality, the market will decide what is first appearance and what is not. And it could change. Like, you know, for example, a lot of people don't realize this, but, you know, Hulk 180 for the longest time was considered Wolverine's first appearance. Yeah, and then some shenanigans were had in the industry, and there's a lot of rumors, you know, about what happened when and what da-da-da-da, but... Uh, you know, that got changed over time because, you know, people started saying, no, we, he's on the cover here. So we're going to go with this one, you know, and, uh, it, it can change. It can change. But right now the market is deciding on what is a first appearance and what isn't. See, and I knew I should have went and picked a couple more copies of this book up because I had a feeling it was going to hit, but I didn't. I just picked up the one. I really like the horn cover. I, I, I really like it. I'll be picking them up at work tomorrow because I've been holding them. I even opened it and perused it. I was like, I don't know what to think about this, but I'll be picking them up at work tomorrow. Yeah, yeah I was, I was kind of this book. Put one aside for me. My I was kind of shocked when you see him. He bursts through the window in a glider, throwing pumpkin bombs and and some old war machine armor. It's like, what, what is, what's going on? You know, I want to yeah. know more. Three ninety nine. Number six, uh, Inhumans is back again uh, on the list. I think it's like the third week in a row. This is the first appearance of Yelena Belova. And there's a little controversy right now with this because people are saying, oh, this isn't her first. This is a cameo because CGC puts on the notation that face is not shown. But if you read the book, her face is is shown you can see her green eyes she has red lips you can see her face and it's definitely a full full appearance is what most people are saying again the market is changing what cgc is saying so this book is shooting up 9.8s were pushing 300 uh last week and now they're uh pushing 400 so yeah again the market deciding so like that new venom book I think 25 actually people are getting it graded real quick. And so I think same thing, that new Thor book and they're not putting any type of notation for it, of it being anything. And they say, and you know, and I was reading and I was looking at, and I guess CGC CBCS is already saying, yes, it's this, but CGC is waiting. Do you think that's, I mean, what are they trying to wait for? What do you think they're trying to determine? Like maybe to determine the mark for the market to decide. You know, put it in the like I said. I, I hate to keep throwing that back out there, but let the market put it in the market's hands and what well, they think. I think better for CG, so CBCS to be like, yes, this is it. Or so, what happens if CGC decides it's different because of the market, and now CBCS has one thing and CGC has another thing? Like, like what do what do we as consumers do and people who sell? You get it. You you get it graded wherever. If you really care that much about it, then you get it graded with the company that you agree with, right? Well, I think when the Venom book, it's a, it's an oddity because if if we don't have coronavirus, 
if that didn't screw up distribution, you would have had the free like the free comic book day Venom Spider Man book first, which would have been Virus's first appearance, and then you won't have this issue. So I wonder if they're waiting for that to come out, and then they're gonna sort out true first appearance by original release date, or do you go true first appearance by current release date because of the virus? What, what do you do? What do you take into effect? How does it go? Because I think the fans will throw a complete fit if if that happens. Because if you go by if you go by date it's printed that free comic book day would be the the first appearance no again he's on the cover of 25 and he's in the book so but that would have made book day means nothing even even if 26 never comes out free comic book day means nothing because 25 came out but i'm saying if, before but i'm saying if you go if they go by original release date even with original release date, twenty five came out before original release date of twenty of free comic book. No, because twenty. The, if it was original release date, I'm pretty sure the free comic book day book would have come out before twenty five because that was the big thing. Is that was going to be his first appearance? No, no. You, I think you're misunderstanding. The, his first. Everybody was saying his first full appearance was, was going to be in twenty six, and that's why the free comic book day shot up because it was supposed to come out before twenty six. Mm. Yeah. But you know, I could be wrong. But I'm I'm almost positive that's that's what what it is. But anyways, um, this next book is my favorite book on the list, and that's uh, Usagi oh, yeah. Tempo number one. Uh, Albedo number two is just way too high in price range. That's a ten to fifteen thousand dollar book. Um, it's up high you know, range. Yeah, that's up there. That it's like it's like turtles. You know, uh, that was back when I was growing up. I remember seeing. Albedo number two thinking, oh man, if that's my grail. If I can ever find that book, you know, and cause I'm a big Usagi guy. I always, he was always my favorite character in Turtles. Um, even though I wasn't a huge Turtles fan, Usagi Jimbo is always my favorite character, him and, uh, and, uh, Metalhead. And you've got uh, those, man. I know yeah. you got those. Yeah. And I remember going out and looking for those and mm -hmm. finding those and, and I and, and I tell a story a lot about uh, Stan Sakai. Stan Sakai is such a nice dude. And um, if you go up and talk to him at a show and ask him to sign a book and you talk to him and you tell him, you know, how much you love his character, nine, nine times out of ten, he'll do a free sketch on it. I have this book, um, multiple Usagi books that he did a little cool little Usagi sketch on it and signed it. And he had a great conversation with me. And he's just a real cool dude that really deserves to finally get you know, hopefully a payday out of this bigger than he got when he, you know, joined the Turtles Club. Yeah, but I'm, I'm surprised that it, di it didn't hit before this. I've been waiting for years for people to go, oh, look at this, you know, Usagi character is great. Like, it, for years I've been wondering why it didn't hit. So I'm super happy that it's finally starting to, people are starting to recognize. So the reason why this is so hot is because Netflix came out and said they're doing a Usagi series and uh, pretty sure it's going to be um, animated, obviously. But we're not 100% sure if it's going to be Usagi himself or it's, if it's going to be Usagi's... At one point in the comic, they, they did a time jump and it, you know, Usagi takes place in feudal Japan, but they did a time jump where it's in the future in space and it's Usagi's um, relative. So... There's still talk that it could be that relative, but either way, uh, I'm stoked just to see, you know, some some uh, Usagi uh, universe stuff get out there. Very cool. And if they did this live action, I mean, there's only they are. One. It's a, there's a Netflix show coming. No, uh, we no, but it's animated. Animated. Yeah, but 
if, if they did live it. action, I mean, you got to go Nick Cage for Usagi. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the only one they can, or maybe Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck or Nick, Nick Cage. That's the only. That's the only real deal there, folks. I mean, that's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who else? Usagi <laughs> Cage. I mean, you heard it here, folks. First, folks. That's that's it. It should be Jet Lee. <laughs> Chow Young Fat or um let's Chow see. Young fuck you too. Who else? <laughs> um Ken Wantanabe. <laughs> so this is a and this is a tough to rate it as if they're doing live action. Super hard book to find and, and high grade too. Old book, Fanographics, a an independent publisher. Um I, I believe it's most of them are black and white. It's a really cool book. Uh, number four, here we go. Last Ronin, more turtles talk. Um, this has it anybody come seen out this yet? yet? I haven't it hasn't even come seen out it. yet. Um, me in the balls. It you come out the one cover I didn't get. Are you are you sure that it hasn't come out yet? Because no. maybe it's just pre-selling. Um, because it's, it's Ben it's writes thirty-five to fifty dollars. Wow, I did not expect to see this sell for this much money this week. Yeah, it's pre. So let's look it up. Oh, this is the ash can. This is the yeah. ash can. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So this is the ash can, and the ash can is is what's selling for for thirty five okay. to forty dollars. Um, I say because the the books that we all pre ordered yeah, forty five dollars. The book we all pre ordered is the number one. Yeah, it says here. Uh, there you go. I'll share. And, Let me and they were they were offering this cover with yeah. with all of that, but um, yeah. There. So and it, it, it's a bigger book if I if I if I'm correct. But here you go, seventy five yeah, bucks, thirty. They, you can buy them. People uh, the cover of that of the fucking turtles last Ronin that I saw. Man, I wish I got on the pre sale and the pre order of that one. Fuck this one. This one? It's no. Look at this one. That one's bad too. But the other one is like. It's kind of like that, but it's a little bit different. But he's like crouched down, and like the 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 ghosts of the other turtles are behind. It's a really cool fucking. That's a dope one. Look at that one, dude. The I one I think I'm pissed that I didn't get that that Mint Comics uh, pre-sale yesterday. I'm so this pissed. one's terrible. It's Matina, and it's terrible. Yes. God, that's terrible. Let's see what else we got. Uh, this one's dope. Him coming out the grave. That's pretty cool. I, I all I know is they're fucking knocking. Artists are knocking it out of the park with this. So movie. I want to show you guys something real quick that uh, I heard rumors about. And let's see here. What is the uh, the teenage? Oh, it's Michelangelo. The Christmas special. Yeah, I know where there's one of those on eBay that I watch and I get a notification every week about a certain wonderful gentleman who holds that book. And all I think is, man, I got to buy that damn book. <laughs> and then and then I scroll a little to the left where it's got the spawn that's also Capullo signed. And that same very... Wonderful gentleman um, happens to have that one. Well, I told um, you to ask that wonderful gentleman about working on a price. 
I <laughs> that already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, you're 100 percent correct. But this, <laughs> this, this book, uh, this last Ronan book, there is some rumors out there, right? And hold on, just a second here. There's a lot uh, of hype revolving around this book right now. Oh my god, save. So let me do this. Uh, Michelangelo Christmas special. So the Christmas special, um, which a lot of people are going crazy for, right? Well, they're not yet. But there is uh, somebody um, like uh, uh, Chad is talking about that uh, does have a 9.8 version of this. Uh, which is it's, something that's it's not for sale. It's not for sale, folks. It yeah. is not for sale. That, that has it gotten is. a ton of offers over the last couple of days, a shit ton of offers over the last couple of days about this book. Made me wonder why, right? Rumor has it that in this Christmas special, it fast forwards to the future and it shows there's one last turtle remaining and it could be the last Ronin, they're saying. So, if that's the case, ladies and gentlemen, uh, some wonderful stuff news that you have, guys... Uh, have we even narrowed down yet who the last turtle is? It's Raphael. Is it Raph? 100%? Yeah, yeah, I believe that's what everybody's saying. Because the one coming out of the grave, the gravestone says Donatello. Ah, that's a good question. It could be Donatello. It could be. But anyways... But just, then, then the one with the two katanas, it looks like Leonardo. So I think they get you. They're keeping us guessing on purpose of what turtle it is. Yeah. Well, just I think be, they are too. Just be um, on the lookout for maybe uh, if this book blows up too. So uh, you never know. You never know. Yeah. Uh, eBay was eBay was that. Yeah. <laughs> number three, Strange Academy. Number one. Uh, I wish I would have known about this book earlier. I know we talked about it on the show, but I didn't realize that that's Dormammu's son. That is freaking cool, man. And I love that character, the design of the character. I love the cover for number two where he's on it. Um, but this I book, the first one because of the J. Scott Campbell cover. Yeah, and this book is going crazy right now. $25 to $30 for raw copies. There's a, ton of, there's a ton of first appearances in this book. And uh, I think that um, it could it could continue to be stay on this list. So number two, look who is back. Venom Dude, number three, third print. I want one of those so bad it hurts. Well, good luck. 9.8s are selling for 900 to 1,000, up $500 from last week. Uh, signed copies in 9.8 are selling for a 1,500. Um, listen. Noel is re Noel shit's real, and you saw the the cover coming out later this week where he's holding the Infinity Gauntlet. I've been talking for a long time that I think Noel is the next big bad in the MCU. I am pissed that I forgot about that pre-sale. Yeah, uh, the hype around yeah. him is so much. If he fizzles, if it goes the route of a normal Marvel uh, event and it fucking fizzles out, so many people are gonna be pissed. <laughs> so if, if he turns out to be a bust everybody who spent a thousand bucks plus on this book is gonna just commit seppuku man it's just gonna be done could you imagine if if johnny cage just just is trolling everybody and like in like three issues later somebody just kills him and and it's all over he, he comes to earth and 
and like Dylan Brock just beats the living fuck out of him, and it's over. Psych. Yeah. Just yeah. Like Dylan Brock. Five, just so I could keep it semi-realistic yeah. for myself. <laughs> like Dylan. Just want this cover, Dylan Brock. Yeah, I think it's an ugly over cover. Symbiote and just beats the fuck out of him, and it's game. I think over. it's cool as fuck, man. He's sitting there, fucking like style, fucking. I'm a badass. He looks cheesy though. He's got the big yeah. chest with the really bony arms and legs, and his face looks really ch- terrible. Look, looks like he was in the waiting room next to freaking Beetlejuice, and he got yes. his head shrunk. Yes. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> weird, man. Um, number if one, on the high train. I think he looks dad. better in Wrath and uh, Wrath. Your, your, spy, your, your Spider Woman crush is at number uh, one this week, and this Jenny Frison cover is um, beautiful. is beautiful. Other than her face, there's something wrong with her face. Uh, Mel V re, really laid it out, and he said that it looks like uh, that Gobot character, the female Gobot character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is that character's name? Um, the Gobot or something like that. They're about. the dollar store transformers. It looks like she's got the tweaker sucker. Cruella Deville. But I really suck at drawing faces. Well, look at look at this character and tell me that this character doesn't it's look. Adam's apple. This character looks just like uh, how she looks. Here we go. <laughs> it does. <laughs> right? Dobot, I mean, the Kmart of Transformers. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. So that's so good. This Jenny Frison book is uh, it, it's beautiful from from the chin down. I love how it almost looks like body paint on her. It looks like body paint, and and it look and the flowing energy, the yellow energy, and the red, and everything is beautiful. It's almost got that John Tyler Christopher negative variant feel. Like this to it, it looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's selling for two to three times ratio two days after release, and uh, it's definitely not one of her top ten all time best covers. Uh, but. It's number one this week, and it's a one in fifty. So you know, yeah. getting one hundred and fifty dollars for this book raw is a nice little chunk of change. And please, I hope it comes back down so I can find one. I really think it will. I, really I like the zombie cover. Have you seen the the zombie face spider Spider Woman too? No. Oh, no, dude, no. I, I like that's my favorite. That's the one that I like. That variant's really cool looking. Let's see what we got here. Yeah, that is. That's freaking awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. I can't it. believe that's not the one that's taken off, but obviously yeah. it's not the super rare one either. Yeah, look how beautiful this is. Uh, this is really nice. Here you go, Matt. Uh, share screen. Yeah, that's dope right there, man. I like that a lot. I like yeah. it a lot. It's a lot better than fucking the the GoBots one. Well, and in 15 years with that solid black cover the way that that is, good luck finding a high grade of it. So, I mean, if you can get a really high grade of that now and and send that off and get your nine eights, man, slab that thing quick because – would that be with like a green autograph or a red autograph? Yeah. Like the right or left side? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. Very That's cool. a great cover. I love that cover. Yeah. Why don't you marry it then? 
would, if, I, if I could, I probably would because, you know, I'm into necrophilia and zombie sex. We've had this discussion. Come on, Walking Dead. Keep it real. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> you you got to love them and, and then leave them in the ground. <laughs> That's actually a song. Yeah. All right. Uh, Kyle, you going to talk about your bat friends? Yeah, do you want do you want that to be an odd news or you just want to go for it? Yeah, let's just go for it. All right. I love this. Go ahead, Matt. What? I was gonna let you do it. I don't have it up, so go for it. Give him a segue. (laughs) Uh, Human sized bats have been found in the Philippines. Just as you think 2020 couldn't get any worse. Walking down the street to go play in this fucking human-sized bat fucking gobbles your shit up. I bet you the parents would be like, damn, I wish I had been responsible and I didn't let my five-year-old fucking leave to go do shit on his own. Nice segue back. (laughs) You're welcome. Look at the size of that thing. (laughs) Fuck off. That's a vampire, bro. kind of cute. I want it as a pet. I'd I'd maybe give it a shot. That that would scare the ever living shit out of me. Yes, it I would. Like that. That, would be, that would be way worse than coming up on a shark. Could you imagine turning the corner in an alley and you're like, that motherfucking bat is bigger than me? That's the that Rona. That's the Rona me. bat right there. Yeah, but if and you got some fruit, I mean, they love fruit. See, so you feed them a little apple and eat your buddy. And then you just walk down the street together. Like, who's going to screw with you? Like, hey, I got a pit bull. Motherfucker, I got a six foot bat over here. He will drop a pit bull from 100 feet. Fuck that. I fucking love Necklace Ed from 90 Day Fiance. Dude. I'm with it, man. I want I want a pet six foot bat. I'm in. I'm in. But bat in our lives, and it's not Catholic. Nope. Who uh, who uh, had six? Who had six foot bat? Um, anybody have July six foot bats? That's no, no that's not in my September. I was really pulling for a man bear pig. I that was my bet, but I mean. Now they can really do Batman versus Man Bat. <laughs> like now it's real. All all Batman has to do is go to the fucking Philippines and they can make that movie. Tra- uh, you'd uh, you'd have to find some trainers, and I don't know who's training six foot bats, but I'm sure they're out there. I'm on the team. I'll give it a shot. What the hell? When uh, two hundred and twenty five pounds, we have Ben Affleck as Batman. And in the red corner, Damn, with the 225. Red corner, that's being generous, bro. We have Man Bat, the six foot five bat from the Philippines. Let's get ready to rumble. That's that Bat Boy bullshit you saw on like National Enquirer and shit. There you go. Dude, Bat Boy was a kid. He wasn't <laughs> six foot. He was a fucking kid. Let's get it right. I just think that was fucking insane. Fuck off with your six-foot bat chilling in the Philippines. There's no way anyone there is cool with that. That's a bunch of bullshit. 
how how do you get is this I mean, what kind of info do we have here? Did I mean, is this the three-eyed fish from Simpsons? Is there one six-foot bat? Is there a whole family? Is this a new breed? What what's what's the uh, premise here on nuclear? It's real. Mutated. It's the bat. bat. That, it's the bat that started Corona. That the misconception is that that dude didn't eat that bat. He turned the corner that bat knocked him the fuck out, and he just got up and he had a scratch and he got coronavirus. Yeah, it all started <laughs> with the spit on him. It he all, turned the corner that bat. It all started fucking, the droplet cough. That bu- that bat fucking deboed him, and he fucking got spit on. <laughs> right, and they bowed him shoulders. That bat turned around with motherfucker. <laughs> he deboed yeah. him. Fucking motherfucker deboed him. <laughs> <laughs> he took his gold chain and left. Yeah. And that motherfucker woke up big mad and had coronavirus. Big mad because he got knocked out by a bat and has coronavirus. Yeah. Knocked out by a bat and hocked a loogie on him. Yeah, fucking Boom. deboed him. Corona. <laughs> yeah. You're done. COVID, bitch. <laughs> yep. That's pretty much how it happened. You heard it here first. Come here for the facts. Important facts. <laughs> I can't wait to you see that headline. You can't even duck that punch because yep. you know under the whole arm is the rest of the wing. So as he's just just flailing you with that punch coming around, I mean he's gonna catch you with the whole wing. You're not. There's no daylight. There's no duck dive dodge. You, no. can, you can duck it pretty good in the daylight. They don't see well. If you can he, dodge he, a wrench, see, you can the dodge guy, a ball. The guy did eat a bat, but that was the that was the payback. Is that other? It was that bat's cousin, so he deboed him, and he was like, "That's." He's like, "Eat my family now, bitch!" and spit on him, and fucking <laughs> away it went. <laughs> fucking clean your cock, deboed, son. Oh, that's oh, great. I would poo myself and pee a little bit, dude, if I saw a six foot five bat, oh, dude, kicking upside down. And it's motherfucking Dracula. The fuck I, are you doing here? I'd have to try and make friends, man. I, I mean, that's your only. You see my like route? six foot five bat. <laughs> want to kick it? Want to bar? That's <laughs> your first one, man. I got apple slices. You want? You want an apple? I know you guys like apples. Here, he's gonna give you some apple. Can we be friends? Can we hang out? Piece of apple. <laughs> I can just leave it. Bacon, sausages. What? What Chad, do you like? I Chad, will give you. Chad would walk around the corner, and be like, "Do you, Do you read comics?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a first appearance man bat. Can yeah. I can I offer you a man bat? I got I got some <laughs> Morbius living vampire. Oh, that's bad taste. Is that too soon? <laughs> no, no living vampires here. Can I can I offer you a drink? You know, you want to hang out? I we can all get along. I'm just saying that'd be kind of cool. All the way to the box with the stick on it. I'm gonna knock the stick out, put him in a box, and we're fucking good. You're gonna have to have a fridge box. And that motherfucker picks up the box and just fucking dead or like fucking military presses you and shit. Nail that shit shut, man, and then you fucking you put it in the fucking in the thing with the Raiders of the Lost Ark and you just leave it there. I'm telling you, your your best bet walking around the corner to keep from being Deboed and spit on is to make friends, man. Offer, 
offer apple slices, something of of a fruit nature, maybe some banana, you know, piece of banana. Here you go. Here's some banana. Can we just be friends? You you turn the corner, you walk, you see that motherfucker, and then you just walk backwards, back around the (laughs) You get back out of plane, and you come back to the desert. You don't go to Martha's Vineyard where fucking sharks are. There's fucking six foot five bats. There's just there's a few things you just don't do. You see, you see that motherfucker, and you say, "This isn't where I parked my car," and you just start walking backwards, and you're out. Tim, help him out. Yeah. This isn't where I parked my car. So that reminds me, if either or any of you know where to get a Jawas shirt, I have been looking for one forever, and it's the Jaws cover, but it's a Jawa coming up instead of Jaws, and it says it's in the same lettering, and it says Jawas instead of just Jaws. If anyone out there knows where to find one of those, hit a, hit a Wookiee up. If anyone knows where you can get a sweet black and white baseball jersey style King Diamond shirt, hit me up. <laughs> only only at the concert. Uh, funny. Funny stuff. I'm going to type drunken chat. What? Isn't it time to go over to drunken chat? Yeah, there you go. You got to go to drunken chats. Brian's like fourth podcast of the week. Um, I have to. I'm going to be probably uh, heading over there late tonight. But you guys are definitely uh, more than welcome. He's uh, he definitely he said what's up to you guys today during the hot ten. So there you go. Um, definitely go over there and hang out for a while. And uh, I'm going to take the dog for a walk after we're done here, and then I'll probably see you over there. Well, you guys Mel, got uh, Mel Big Papa. You guys yep. got anything else you want to talk about this week? Anything else more? Um, what about uh, weird and wonderful weird shit? I don't have any weird news this week. Oh, I was going to use the man bat one, but I gave Kyle the option. Um, shit. Finally got the bog bogcast uh, Patreon thing. So if you guys are fans of the bogcast, go check that out. Uh, started up a Patreon yeah, over there. Yeah, uh, for all you uh, absolute geek Patreon fans. Um, other than that, got a new show coming over on Flipside. Uh, got a modern spec show called The Modern Playbook. So what? that's yeah, that's coming soon. Uh, it's gonna be uh, we got an all star cast of people. We got um, Mr. Longshort, Mr. Longshort, mm-hmm. whose name is Ben from Go Collect. Merkinot, which I couldn't believe we got Mercenot, Merkinot, however you say it. I couldn't believe we got, you know, him to decide to do the show. Um, uh, uh, We got an, uh, hopefully we're going to get Andy from Comic Book Invest uh, writer to do the indie stuff and hopefully Lucas Fashina from uh, Drunken Chat Son. So, but not Kyle. Trust me, you don't want to be part of another podcast, man. It's tough. (laughs) It's tough juggling them all. I'm not part of it. So, well, yeah, you're already part of 15 of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm backing out as many of them as possible, man. Too much work. It is a lot of work, but Beep. it's so much Beep. fun. Yeah, it's fun. Well, I hope everyone jumps over to the drunken chat. 
Let's, uh, did anyone get anything this week? Where's your Wookiees cookies, man? We can't end this without any Wookiees cookies. I Anybody got anything? I, didn't I get did. Any I got a lot of Wookiees cookies uh, this week. I got my Excalibur books because I was drunk on the drunken chat. <laughs> I got those <laughs> one days ago. I got Excalibur 1, 2, and 3. The, not the original, the new uh, volume. We were talking about in the drunken chat a couple weeks ago. The ones from 2006. Yeah. I got those ones. Uh, why didn't you tell me? I'd have just sent you back a copy of the 10 that I have of yours. <laughs> 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 I'd have literally just gave you <laughs> one of the, like, 15 that I have. Like, if you're looking for an Excalibur 1... Hit me up. I will sell you a great condition Excalibur one, as I have. I got one, I got one like two, fifteen of them. Four ninety nine. I think I've got fifteen or twenty of number one, and probably six or eight of number two. Probably another five of number three. Are you guys? In, have you any of you guys started reading the uh, the Joker War st- stuff yet? No, like the new I Nightwing. Haven't. I haven't even been to the comic book stores in weeks. Have you been reading it, Matt? Yeah, I don't. Is wanna... it? How is that? Is that pretty good? Or well, I mean, it's just starting. The the last issue of Batman kind of kicked it off, and there's been some interesting developments in in Nightwing where he's now part of. Well, spoiler alert! Fuck it. He's now part of the uh, the Joker's family. That's stupid. Been Jokerized because they took him over using a crystal that the uh, Court of Owls was trying to use to to turn him into a Talon. Uh, I try. I think and erase his memory. So yeah, I, didn't didn't they expect like some sort of like King Robin or something like that and some yeah. little? Uh, yeah, uh, okay. You have the return of the Barry Allen Flash, the uh, actual DC. Barry Allen Flash in Dark Knight uh, Death Metal one. 2. And then you got uh, Turtles 106 came out this week with a new character in it. So, first appearance in that book. That's, Is that that's that albino baby Nope, turtle? it's like some kind of like eel creature. So. An eel? Yeah. I picked it up, but I haven't read it yet. He's on the very last I picked last up two page. of these. Based on on some um, spec by... Is that the eel character? Yeah. Not a pass on the eel character. So So this is Outlawed, number one, the one in 50. And uh, not a lot of people know about this book. It went under the radar. And, of course, the one in 50, not a lot of people will know about that because there's so little of these ordered. But... This is a series that uh, includes, obviously, um, Miles, uh, Ironheart, and Kamala Khan. And there they are on the cover. And any the, the spec, a lot of people think the spec on this is you've got those three characters who are just blowing up. And, um, and you also have, uh, there's something about when covers will have chicks blowing bubble, bl- bubbles from bubble gum. It, it just, they sell well. And... Uh, Obviously, there's uh, Riri doing just that. So um, Kamala Khan, Miles, and Riri. This is a 1 in 50 
Um, you can still find them for ratio on eBay and uh, might be worth looking into. Then I picked up this bad boy and Chad will like this. This is the one in 1000 retailer 2009 diamond exclusive retailer variant. And it is in Star Wars Invasion number zero, the Yuzon Vong have arrived. Uh, Super tough book to find. Yes, it is. So I got one of those. Nice. That's a good pickup. Yeah, I like it. Ishtavan is asking, is anyone anyone get Snake Eyes by Liefeld? I did. I bought um <laughs> I bought uh the Frankie's comics variant, the um the Kirkham uh, Virgin That's Snake cool Eyes cover. face and the Storm Shadow face. I bought one of each. I think I bought the 9.8 for the Storm Shadow and then two raws of the Snake Eyes because I couldn't get in time for the two 9.8s. But um, I'm also going to buy a couple of the other ones. Uh, I'm going to buy the Unknown Comics one and a couple others. Some of those are just beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I definitely want the San Diego Comic Con one. I got to figure out how to get that. Anybody knows how to get that? Uh, let me home. know. Watch. So you probably got to do it through Comic Con at home. Yeah. Oh, Christine found me a Jawas T-shirt. I love her. She is my new hero. That um, did. So which cover is it with the? Because it, I can't remember if it's Storm Shadow or I think it's Snake Eyes holding the sword, and then the reflection of Storm Shadow is in the sword. Is yeah, that right? That, no, yeah, yes. Storm that, Shadow one is that? reversed. It's, that is the big time collectibles or Snake Eyes mm. Dead Game number one big time collectibles exclusive. And what's that, Matt? There's a reverse of it as well. There's the Storm Shadow one that's where he's holding the sword and Snake Eyes is in the sword. I did not know that. I think that's I think that's an issue two cover though. But but you can see them both on the big time collect collectibles website. IDW announces the cancellation of the San Diego Comic Con exclusive Snake Eyes variant. Well, there you Son go. of a bitch. That's a pain in the ass. Uh, IDW announces. Here, check this out. That sucks, man. Right, bastards. Look at this. Oh, such a beautiful cover, and they're the covers, and they're not doing it. Uh, heads up, just in case you were excited about picking up the Silent Master variant covers for G.I. Joe Real American Hero 264 at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, then my apologies to the bad news. Today, IDW announced that the covers have been canceled. Is this the same thing, or is this old? I thought this is it, right? Yeah. San Diego Comic-Con exclusives are canceled. The covers that have been canceled are all of them. Wow. Yeah. No, that's uh, 2019. That's last year. So yeah. let's see if uh, if there's any uh, recent ones. Let's see here. I'll uh, stop sharing for a second here. Um, that's such right. a cool while, you're, while you're looking that up, I will... Um, God, what? I have so much crap. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did I show off that I got my green helmet finally? Yes. No. Oh, I got no. One, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of my four that I need. So I'm pretty stoked about that. I know some of us talked earlier. I did get my variant number ones for Spider-Woman because I am a 
lover of Spider-Woman, although these are not my favorite. I am trying to collect as many of the number ones as possible. And then, oh, I got a stack. <laughs> Again. Because, you know, I'm addicted. I got, um, I found a full set of four of the uh, Star Wars Jedi Quest. Jesse last night on his show sold had so many Star Wars comics for sale. It was I, I I didn't see it, and I'm kind of glad. I'm still waiting from my uh, my last shipment from Jesse. I bought like ten books off of them, and they haven't come in yet. But they're on their way. It was um, crazy. So many books. He was people were just gobbling them up. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. If you can buy Star Wars, you should just because that's good stuff. I sold Star Wars books. Actually, I sold Star Wars books. We had a Star Wars Reads free preview. Such a good book. I got my uh, 38. As you can see, I too have been buying the Star Wars. I got a 46. And this run's getting kind of hard. It's starting to get a little harder to find any of the Star Wars books. They're, um, man, like you said, people just, they're gobbling them up. People aren't totally stupid. They're um, jumping on it. Two and three bucks a book, too. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're and that's mostly what I'm finding. But I'll tell you what I did, and, and maybe some of you don't know it. But you should be paying attention as we're getting into that time of year again. Christmas time? Yep, we're <laughs> starting to think about Christmas. And so they have the Hallmark Star store. When you go to the village, I mean, they have all kinds of neat stuff. So think about that. I mean, they've got um, the whole... Um, what do you call him? Nightmare Before Christmas run. And they have a whole village for him. They've got some new um, Batman village stuff coming out. You know, for the Christmas times when you want to put out your uh, your nerdy Bat Christmas stuff. Um, they've got the DC line coming out. The Wonder Woman action. Little uh, Daily Planet. So that's something to think about for all of you uh, Christmas lovers who I am not one. Um, and then if you're going to go Hallmark, you go into your keepsakes and they always have um, star. Uh, they always have a ton of stuff, but a lot of these ornaments. Did I just like Star Wars ornaments fucking black out? Cause we were just talking comics and all of a sudden we're talking ornaments. And Chad's showing off catalogs. Look at that. Look at that. That's for your tree, folks. You can have nerd all year round. <laughs> Speaking of Christmas, join us Ooh, next week cool. when we have a special guest, Flick, from A Christmas Story. Scotty oh, Schwartz is going to be joining us for an interview. Along with, as long with Travis from uh, Comic Exposure will be joining us. You saw him there ad for their podcast at the beginning of our show so go check out comic exposure there's some more wookies cookies kyle's all set to talk porn next week with with scotty who doesn't like to talk about porn (laughs) 
is some more Darth Maul goodness. Darth Balls. I have um, two more in that bag. <laughs> Who doesn't love Star Wars? If you don't, then you're a weirdo. Heir to the Empire. Trying to complete that run. Oh, Good luck. baby. Thank you, the weirdo. Here's a nice one. Number zero. That's a hot book. That that's a good one. Rebel Heist. That's uh that starts scratching the surface of some of the books that I've been buying. I have too many, too many. Well, anybody got anything else you want to talk about this week, or no? Not that I can think of. No, I think it was a. We learned a lot today. We did. We learned, it was a, an lot. We learned a lot about sharks. We learned a lot about milk. We learned a lot about. Gonna go in the ocean again. We learned a lot about. Uh, Deals doing deal business deals in the men's room. The hot ten, man man bats deboing people. It's just a it's just an educational show all the way around. But, Gotta keep it real. Um, absolutely, guys! If you had a great time tonight and this is your first time finding this uh, podcast, please make sure to hit that like and subscribe button. Uh, please make sure to turn those notification bells on. Be like that man bat, debo that le- that bell. And so you get notifications on when we go live. What? <laughs> Debo that bell. So with notification when we go live every Friday night, 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Yeah, you know, like Debo that bell? Debo that bell? Oh, no, it's good. It was corny as fuck, I know. But, um, yeah, if this is your first time finding us on Monday, Playback on Monday, please make sure to hit that download button, subscribe, leave us reviews. It goes a long way to helping in those podcast standings. Um, once again, make sure to check out Comic Exposure. Thanks for, to Travis from Comic Exposure for sending us in uh, his ad for his show. Shout out um, to our awesome guest. He was cool, dude. Yeah, shout out. Um, yeah, shout out to Dave Bigelow for joining us tonight to talk everything Jaws and his uh, check out his por- his uh, project Support coming him. out. Support him, hell yeah, support him, one hundred percent. He was a five year old left to wander his own on Martha's Vineyard. Support yeah, that man. man. He's fucking gangster. Uh, remember to join us next week for uh, our interesting conversation with Scotty Schwartz to talk everything a Christmas story, porn, and probably so much more. Uh, what else? Make sure to subscribe to Brian's other podcast, The Bogcast. Um, subscribers away from a thousand, so we can use all the help we can get. There you go. Subscribe to the Bogcast. Subscribe to Tales from the Flip Side. Subscribe to the Hot Ten. Subscribe to Ripping Packs with the Wax Max or whatever that, whatever <laughs> any other fucking shows you're on. Subscribe to them all. Yeah. You know. Subscribe to them all. Make sure to uh, show some love to Grizzle Geek, who's nice enough to show us love every Friday night uh, before our show goes live. And also, uh, if you need something to do Saturday night, check out Couch Crunchers, where this week they're reviewing Hamilton 
So if you want to shit all over Hamilton, go. All uh, right, Hamilton. Woo-hoo. Go check out. Go check out them tomorrow night. So uh, for this week's episode of the Absolute Geek Podcast, I am Matt. I'm Kyle. I'm Brian. I'm, I'm the Wookie. And we'll see you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>